Last year, they didn't know what I was capable of. This year, they still don't. Pick me. I'm not looking for any sympathy, Don, but ever since Jimmy Graham caught Drew Brees' pass and weaved his way into the end zone, being a Saints fan has kind of felt like listening to a really long country music song, you know, where the truck breaks down and they (laughs) lose their girlfriend and their dog runs away. It's just been a series of really disappointing events, like while Vernon Davis caught the touchdown. Oh yeah. We're out of the playoffs. Then this bounty stuff happens. I think you're still in the Super Bowl grace period though, aren't you? I think you kinda gotta Yeah, but I ended that after the Marshawn Lynch, Lynch stomping. <laughs> yeah. That was the end of my grace period. <laughs> so it was time to wake up after that happened. But my point is as bad as things have been, it felt good today to get some good news. And obviously the good news is that Marcus Colston Resign with the Saints, five-year deal. We're going to talk about it during three things. But I have a question for you, Don. If he didn't resign, would I have tried to? Would I have had to, as a fan and a parent, change my dog's name? I know. I texted you as soon as I saw the signing, and I said you don't have to change the dog's name. But uh, what would have been the protocol had he been gone? Uh, like if much, he's the one in the Buffalo airport right now and not Robert Meacham. How much would? How much do you like Colston after he leaves? Is he still one of your favorite players? Well, I kind of said this to Tammy. I said, "Look, it. I named the dog after him because he was part of the Super Bowl team." Okay. If they had never won the Super Bowl, I don't think he would have been Colston. Colston. But regardless, he is my favorite Saint besides Drew Brees currently, and he'll probably end his career in my top three or four. All right. So yeah, I think that's fine. Um, Disaster averted, I suppose. Yeah, I know. Like, like you're an Oklahoma guy, so you always kind of like Sam Bradford guys like that, right, regardless Peterson. of what team they're on. Right. So, I mean, had you named him something like Sammy or something, that would be no big deal. But like you said, he won the Super Bowl with your team, so he'll always kind of be one of your guys. So, think- and Tracy Porter's going to leave in free agency, and he's the guy who made the greatest play that I've had as a fan, my my number one sports moment. But I'll still always love Tracy Porter for that. Right, And I think it's still fair game every once in a while for me to break out the Tracy Porter jersey I have, the white one with the Super Bowl patch, to sure. honor that moment. Sure. Maybe not when he's on the Rams, but right. maybe when his career ends, I can bring that back out. Fair enough, yeah. All right, it is March 13th, 2012, episode 10 of the second season of the Sportscasters. My name is Steve Bennett. My co-host is Don Russ. We have a great show lined up for you today. we got to talk about NFL free agency, and we're going to do so with Andrew Lawrence from Sports Illustrated, sportsillustrated.com. Also, Luke Wynn. Man, he's a hero of mine. This guy works super hard uh, this week. He is one of Sports Illustrated's number one college basketball writers. Probably the only argument there would be Seth Davis. Seth Davis is not in the Sportscasters Club. He's actually one of the few guys that kind of turned his nose up at us. <laughs> Screw you, Seth Davis. Instead, Luke Wynn is going to be on the show today. Luke works hard this week. He's busy this week, so the fact that he made time for us 
Makes us feel good. Yeah, we talk str- about the NCAA tournament with him. It's strange that we went from uh, the last episode or two where we had good guests, we had good conversations, we had different conversations maybe, but it we was talked about how slow the right. sports world was, and all of a sudden it's picked up. We can't probably fit in everything we want to talk about this week. That's right. So we're going to have Luke Quinn talk about the college basketball. I told you about Andrew Lawrence, talk about the football. And also kind of a fun thing, a catch-all. As we said, there's a lot going on. So we brought back Todd Fritz, who is one of one of our most talked about guests. He's the executive producer of the Dan Patrick Show, member of the Danettes, funny guy. And uh, Todd's going to join us to talk about, one, he's a big Denver Broncos fan, so I wanted to get his opinion on Peyton Manning potentially take, taking over. And if you look at Todd's picture on his uh, Twitter feed, at Brooklyn Fritzy, He's got a Tebow jersey on. <laughs> so he's a big Tebow guy, too. So it would be interesting to get his take on what he thinks the Broncos should be. And also, we talked a little bit with our buddy Dave Damashek about how Dan Patrick had a not-so-great appearance on the David Letterman show. So it will be interesting to talk to the executive oh, yeah, yeah. producer and see what he felt about how Dan handled himself when Dave was picking on the audience network a little bit. So we have those three interviews to get to. Uh, we're also going to update our book club, Wayne Gretzky's Ghost and Other Tales from a Lifetime in Hockey. we got two top ten lists for you today, one that Don made and one that I made. And we're going to close things out with pick four. But before we can do any of that, we have to start the show with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever! <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. Last week we kind of tag-teamed our first issue, which was kind of all the things surrounding the Saints, so we're going to kind of do the same thing this week because uh, the start of the NHL-NFL free agent period has been fast and furious uh maybe not too many signings necessarily but lots of news just tons of news uh peyton manning watch is still on he's talking to teams like denver arizona tennessee at this point now and also miami so that is still up in the air uh any thoughts on that it's kind of just gonna play itself out right i mean i kind of like arizona as a dark horse yeah, yeah, I think he could sneak in there. The idea that you get to throw to maybe the best Fitzgerald, catcher yeah, ever. I like that. I, I, I mean, I think we're going to ask Andrew Lawrence to do some role playing later. But I think if I had the chance to be Peyton Manning right now, I might go to Arizona. It's a beautiful city. They got a beautiful brand new stadium. You know, you get to uh, you got Fitzgerald there. They got a decent running back in in Beanie Wells. Right. Low expectations. Sure. You know, it's not a huge media hotbed per se, you know, and uh, you got a chance to build a legacy there like you did in uh, in Indianapolis. So that's where I would go if I were him. But like you said, it's going to kind of play out the way it's going to play out. Basically, all these teams, what we've heard, the Titans, we've heard yep. uh, the Texans, we've heard all these different teams. And basically, Peyton's going to listen to what everyone has to say, and Peyton's going to decide where he wants to go. It'll be interesting when he finally does land with the team because a guy that uh, Matt Flynn who's played all of two NFL games, will all of a sudden become a, a Yeah, he'd probably be the next big guy. And actually, there was just a report on Twitter that the team's most in, in on him, this is according to Omar Kelly, 
are the Dolphins and Browns. Yeah, the Dolphins have been rumored around him since last year. Yeah. Uh, also in the NFL, Randy Moss yesterday, I believe, signs a one-year deal in San Francisco. So uh, his kind of tour around the league is done. A $1.75 million cap hit for Moss. Yeah, no big deal. Yep. Uh, Washington makes two big splashes this week. I don't believe the RG3 trade or well, the draft pick trade was done last week. So Washington trades uh, three firsts and a second for San Fr- or St. Louis's first this year. And this to me seems like a trade that can maybe be the biggest trades in franchise history for both of these teams. For Washington, if you can land a franchise quarterback... There's no price too steep for nothing. that. Right. right. For St. Louis, you're going to have two probably early first-round picks for the next three years. Uh, they get a chance to build a stable like the Cowboys did with the Herschel Walker trade. Sure. If you remember, the, the Cowboys dynasty in the 90s was a product of a similar trade they made by moving Herschel Walker to the Minnesota Vikings for basically just a bunch of picks. And uh, you know Jerry Jones and Jimmy Johnson were able to turn those picks into talent. And right now they have a quarterback in place who I believe in. I know he didn't have a great season last year, but so what? He was on one of the worst teams in the league. He was injured a lot, you know. So I think he has a chance, Sam Bradford, to still be a great quarterback in this league. And the Rams have a chance with those picks to build around him. And I don't think they needed to pick at number three to get a guy like a Justin Blackman type who they might still be able to get in the Redskins pick, which I think was five, right? They didn't move down that far in the first round. No, it wasn't. I think it's five, so they can still get a player like Justin Blackman, who they might have targeted at a two anyway. Wow. Yeah. All the rest is a bonus, and what a bonus it is. Yep. Uh, and also, they have tons of flexibility. You know, all those picks, they don't have to necessarily sure. make them all. Right, they could you know, turn you them into players. You can turn them into other players, or, or you can turn two of those picks into the top pick next year if there's a franchise guy that you want there. You know, so I think it's a great Great trade for the Rams, and on the other side, like we said, if you can get a franchise quarterback, yeah, there's no there's price, no too, price high. too high for that. Um, also today, Washington uh, makes a odd splash into the free agent market signing. Uh, we'll, t- we'll talk about this more later with Andrew Lawrence, but they signed Pierre Garçon to a larger deal than Marcus Colston. It's very strange. Yeah, there's not really uh, a good way to <laughs> to explain that, except for maybe... You say Colson took a bit of a hometown discount, but even he got $8 million if you a year. Just, if you just look at all the wide receiver news we had today, and you kind of take it as one, you know, so the Bears traded two third-round picks. Two third-round picks to the Dolphins to get Brandon Marshall. Okay, so he's not available to the Redskins anymore. Saints re-signed Colston. $21 million, five, $20 million five years. Okay, then Vincent Jackson. We would both agree he's better than sure. Garcon, right? Absolutely. Well, he ends up signing Tampa Bay. in Tampa Bay. Or supposedly it's really, really close. Okay, right. Right. Okay. So there goes him. Pierre Garcon. Now, you're going to decide that's your guy? Okay. Well, he's not as good as any of the other guys. So why do you feel like you need to compensate? It's almost like they want to prove that he's the guy they wanted over all those guys <laughs> by overpaying him. Right. Because he got more money, $21.5 million, $21.5 million guaranteed, guaranteed yeah. $42 million in five years. Both of those are more than Colston got. Right. And they also signed Josh Morgan today too. And there's talks that they're in on Eddie Royal. Yeah, crazy. No, I... So does that mean Santana Moss will be cut? 
If you're Santana Moss and they just signed three wide receivers, that doesn't say that they think much of you, does it? And he's been super productive even on lousy teams. Uh, One quick aside about Washington is Washington and Dallas this week were both fined for spending too much in in an uncapped year, which is an odd I guess I'd, teams I'd were warned. I guess teams were warned. Yeah, yeah, but that, that that's tough. Um, and the biggest news, if you're a Bills fan, is that Mario Williams, of all the teams he could have went to, has landed in Buffalo today. Uh, he's going to be the first team they visit with, and if you're the Bills, you can't let him leave. Uh, it'd be the biggest signing they'd ever make on the free agent market. Uh, at the worst, it'd be the second biggest to Cornelius Bennett. Right, what a great tweet by... Uh, Freddie Jackson, Jackson who said that close the airport, <laughs> make it happen. Robert Meacham is also going to be yep. in Buffalo tonight. The Bills said they wanted to make a splash early. They said they wanted to be done by Friday. And if uh, they can get Mario Williams and Robert Meacham to compliment Stevie Johnson, uh, mission accomplished. I really like what the Bills are doing. And, you know, not too long ago, as part of our Sportscasters 10, Don and I kind of laid out what we thought the Bills should do. And, I was thinking about my list the other night, and I'm thinking everything I thought, even the stuff I thought might be far-fetched, it just it seems like it's coming through. The Bills the bills are proving something to me. The Bills are proving that, sure, their owner and GM might be in bed by 8 o'clock at night. <laughs> so what? We'll just get our business done before. We'll get our right. stuff done at 7.30 then, you know, if, if that's the case. And I just – I like what they're doing. And if you think about their team – you know, they they spent the money on their quarterback last year. Right. They're confident in Fitzpatrick there. So now we need to put some stuff around them. One, we're going to send a message to the league. You're not just going to take our guys every yeah, time farm someone team, right. comes. They re-sign Stevie Johnson. Great message to send there. Then, Stevie Johnson isn't enough. Let's try to get a burner next to him, which is what Robert Meacham would be. A guy who runs maybe the best double move in the entire league. I, I speak highly of him. I think he's a good player. I think he'd be great for the Bills. Then you got the two running backs. You know, you got Freddie Johnson, you have CJ Spiller. And you look at the defensive side of the ball. You got your two good tackles and Kyle Williams and Marcel Darius. If you add a guy like Mario Williams who could be a Bruce Smith type or a Cornelius Bennett type. Right. Depending if you want to keep right. him at linebacker or if you want to move him back to defensive line where he was drafted. Okay, so all that sounds great. Plus you have another top ten pick this year. Yep. Another chance to improve your team through the draft. So I don't think the Bills are far away at all. I'm not a Bills fan. People know should know that. I'm not just waxing poetic about a team that I love. Like Don, you could maybe accuse him of that. <laughs> Although yeah. I don't, I don't think he's that kind of a fan. But I think coming from me, maybe it means a little bit more. I just like what they're doing, and I think if they can sign those two guys, if they could pull it off. Bam! I give them an A for free agency. Absolutely. They don't have to do another thing. Um. Other quick notes here: Terrence Newman released, uh, Eric Winston released from Houston, and that was really weird. McNeil released from San Diego. Yeah, I didn't get the Winston thing. I didn't get that at all, especially if you're trying to lure Peyton Manning there. Right, and you could say the same thing about the Brandon Marshall thing. Miami's supposed to be one of the front runners on Peyton too, and you're going to trade away the most productive. Here's what I wonder: There, do you want to bring Wayne? Reggie Wayne in? Yeah, because Reggie Wayne he went to the University of Miami. True. Grew up in Florida. So maybe you're moving Marshall out to make room for Wayne and hoping that Wayne can be your chip, your extra piece that could lure Peyton down there. And this is like, the what, the third time Marshall's been traded in the last we few We know years. Marshall isn't exactly a team guy. Right. So maybe you want to just get him out of there. I mean, it's a team that 
doesn't necessarily need that. Uh, and if you do get Peyton in, I don't know. I guess you would think that Peyton would maybe be able to kind of wrangle that type of guy, but maybe you don't even want to take the chance on it. On Twitter right now, barring a shock, Jason Lacknafora and Michael Lombardi both say Mario Williams will be a bill and stinking rich tonight. Wow. That, that's from Tim That's Graham. unbelievable. Uh, as a Bills fan, I want to do jumping jacks or something. That's that's the Bills so many times around the free agency time. And, I mean, the Sabres have just kind of shaken that uh, persona where, okay, you're you're in the league, but you're not really, like, in the discussion at all as far as this stuff goes. And the, the Bills, I wonder if the Sabres have any impact on that. I wonder if the Sabres being the player that they are is forcing the Bills to stop up a little bit. Yeah, I mean – just something to consider. I don't know if it's true, but I don't know. All this time has it been a Ralph Wilson thing? Uh, I kind of like the GM coach that the Bills have now. They're kind of straight shooters. They've been cleaning up the mess that was left behind by the last regime. But even they, at the beginning, didn't really spend money. They still made a couple questionable picks, like CJ Spiller, where they took him. But that would be that would be amazing. Now here's what's incredible. So Peter King ranked the top 50 NFL free agents, right? Okay. And Peyton Manning is number one, but Peyton Manning is almost feels different, right? right. Number two, Mario Williams. Okay, so Manning's is, Manning is. So if you take Manning out of the equation, Peter King is saying that the Bills are going to land the number one free agent on the free agent market. Yeah, that's incredible. And uh, Robert Meacham is in the top 50 as well. So if they could get Meacham, who I think he has at 47, that would be two of the top. 50 in Buffalo. Yeah, the closest thing they've had to this one. maybe is to KO Spikes in recent history, and that, that worked out in the short term. So this would be amazing. I think he's 27 years old, so he's got – Yep, age 27. A lot of time, uh, good time here. Former number one overall pick. Yeah, uh, great great day to be a Bills fan. I mean, they haven't played a down yet, but it's exciting at least. And one more thing I want to say before we move on to our number twos. Uh, I like the Brandon Marshall trade for the Bears. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. really smart move by them. It's, it's about time that they put a top-end wide receiver out there for Jay Cutler to throw to. And why not, if you're going to pick one, why not one that he's already shown to have some chemistry with in Denver? So I really like that move for the Bears. They're another team that, that – uh, and I like uh, the Vincent Jackson move for, for the Buccaneers. Yeah, you know? that's, that's a big, tall receiving Yeah, between Arnelius Ben and, and Mike Williams yeah. and now Vincent Jackson. I really like that. Who's losing right now? Because we're talking about the winners, but are there any teams you're thinking, where are they? Houston, I guess. Houston. I mean, they, they released uh, and Saint, an offensive lineman, and they're going to lose Mario Williams. Indianapolis is turning into a ghost town. Because they said that their two number one priorities were keeping Garcon and keeping... Uh, Mathis. They cut Mathis, but Garcon's gone, so they only get yeah, luck half a point there. Luck isn't going to have much to work with there. That's good. I mean, that's a team that's gonna that looks like it's going to blow it off. They could use as many draft picks as they they can get. Probably. They're going to lose their two top receivers. Who's the number one receiver for Luck now? Austin Collie. Austin Collie's number I guess one. So. Yeah, Dallas Clark. Dallas if he Clark. sticks around. That, yeah, that's going to be tough. RG, you know what? Washington. We talked about how they do crazy things. They traded away a ton of picks. RG3 might be in a better position to succeed right out of school. Let me ask you a question if you're in Indianapolis. And you said, yeah, they need picks. What if they give up next year's first-round pick for Mike Wallace? Yeah, I might do that. 
He's young enough. Although they're going to be bad. I mean, I, I would have to know more about the the class coming out next year. Cause, right. Because they're going to Because they're going to be bad, and now you're talking about a first a pick first instead of a 20th. Maybe. Right. Yeah, you're probably right. Probably not a smart move for them. But the right team, that might be a really good move. Pittsburgh's got to be careful there. I think the right team, someone who's going to be drafted in the 20s next year anyway. Sure. Yeah. Someone who needs one more guy. Why not Mike Wallace instead of an unproven commodity next year? Sure. You know? I can't think of a team right now off the top of my head, but... Well, uh, like a San Francisco... I mean, they signed Moss, but they they have to be drafting really late. Right. Or maybe Arizona if you get... Sure. If you yeah, get Manning and you want to put Fitzgerald and Wallace together. Yeah. And Manning and Wallace, that might put you over the edge. Yeah, Pittsburgh could be in trouble there offensively, too. Pittsburgh should be careful with Wallace. Yep. All right, let's move on. All right, uh, my number two thing this week. Uh, female sports kind of get a rough rap, and maybe the worst of all is basketball. And this state championship game in Oregon, Division Section 5A, isn't going to help. Uh, prob- arguably the best junior prospect in the country, Mercedes Russell, plays for a team called uh, Springfield High. <laughs> and uh, they beat... Eugene Willamette High in their state championship, 16-7. to That's disgusting. Yeah, and you could joke about what you will about women's basketball and all that stuff, but this was uh, it was a game plan, and it worked perfectly except for the team that Eugene Willamette couldn't hit the few shots that they took. Uh, they, to negate this Mercedes Russell, they decided, we don't want to give them the ball at all, and since there's no shot clock in high school basketball – they wouldn't even dribble at times. And the other team played his own defense, so they never even pressed him. In the second quarter, all but six seconds went by with a Eugene Willamette high player just holding the ball, not dribbling, not passing, just holding the ball until six seconds were left in the quarter, and then they took their shots. Wow. I mean, high school needs a shot clock. That's the number one thing I think when you tell me this story. Tomorrow, the rule needs to be passed that you need a, a a shot clock in women's high school basketball. I mean, the trap. You can't ever let this happen again. Coaches ruined hockey for a while with things like the trap. And this is an example of a coach. I understand where he's coming from. I guess trying. Maybe he he thought he was outmanned by this Mercedes Russell, but he wrecked the game. This isn't the spirit in which basketball. I'm not a basketball fan, but I'm guessing sixteen to seven isn't isn't what uh what was his name. Auerbach or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't the spirit when he was nailing the peach basket up on the pole. Yeah, I don't even know what else to say about that. 16-7. to 7, They got, they have to change the rules in this. I read When I'm reading this article, I went down to the comments to see what they were going to say, and a lot of them Dr. were... Dr. James Naismith invented Naismith. basketball. Naismith. I don't know who I was thinking of that. Yeah. Uh, I read a lot of the comments on this, and a lot of them were sexist comments about how lousy women's basketball is. But no, were, you never hear that here on the sports <laughs> But there were guys that said, look, I played high school basketball, and we had one of the best players in the country on our team. Teams said that to us, too. We ended up winning championship games like 26 to 22, and that's men's sports, too. So coaches wreck sports, and it's such an easy fix in this game, and that's just add a yeah, shot clock. Yeah, put a shot clock in. It's ridiculous. All right, my uh, number two and number three thing. Maybe I'll just do them both on, and then you can do your number three. Sure. Uh, basically, our updates from stories that we cover last week. 
One thing we talked about during Three Things last week was Syracuse basketball and their apparent lack of institutional control. Having implemented their own drug policy, having numerous players fail said drug policy, and then not punishing them. Well, word came down today that Fab Mello, one of the stars of the Syracuse basketball team that was awarded a number one seed in the NCAA tournament on Sunday, is ineligible for the NCAA tournament. Uh, he's a seven-foot Brazilian, and he did not travel with the team to Pittsburgh. Uh, he won't take part in the tournament due to what the school is saying is eligibility issues. Um, ESPN had the report citing an anonymous source, and uh, it's related to the first suspension and that the NCAA revised the case and ruled him ineligible. So, uh, you know, Syracuse is going to have to make yeah. some changes because they, they've had a really bad year. And like we said, it started with the Bernie Fine stuff. Right. And, you know, Jim Beheim so vehemently defending him. Right. Then right. having to fire him a few days later. Then the black eye last week, the lack of institutional control. And another question is going to be if Syracuse knew this before the committee set forth the bracket and didn't report it, is that some kind of violation? Could they get punished for that? And would the would the committee have ranked Syracuse as a number one team despite this? So Syracuse basketball, uh-oh. Yeah. All right, the other story I have to update, we talked about last week. We opened with a highlight. We thought Sidney Crosby was going to return to action on Sunday. Didn't happen. Good news, though, is that he's going to return on Thursday to play against the Rangers in his first game in more than uh, three months. It's a second lengthy bout with concussion syndromes. 24 years old, Crosby went through a big workout today. No dizziness, no headaches. And he's ready to return on Thursday. He says he's in better shape now than he was when he came back last time. I would hope so, because like you said, it was his first game in three months, but what did he play, two games, I believe, or something like that? And that was after sitting an entire year. So, And this is going to be a huge hockey game. The Rangers are 10 points ahead of the Bruins in the 1-2 when you look at the conference standings. Okay. But they're only four points ahead of number four, Pittsburgh. Oh, okay. Yeah, Pittsburgh's you know, won like nine straight games. Yeah, Pittsburgh crazy. is red hot. Without Crosby. Number one in the power rankings on SI.com, according to Adrian Dater. Um the Rangers are number three. So it's a huge game. And another thing I wanted to mention about this, with that game being added to the NBC Sports Network, the NBC Sports Network is going to add that game and air it to the country. Oh, you'd have to, yeah. With that game being added, that means between NBC and the NBC Sports Network, they're going to air 10 hockey games this week. That's awesome. Which is an incredible amount, especially at this time when playoff races are getting tight. Teams got about, what, 13 games left or so, 12 games. Teams have played about 70 games right now. So I think we could end any discussion that we might have previously had about the NHL not being smart when they re-signed with the NBC Sports Network. So screw ESPN Hockey doesn't need them. And those are my three things for today. Yeah, I just miss uh, John Butchergrass. Me too. Maybe he can defect, but he's he's probably got a nice cushy thing there as the uh, anchor there on Sports Yeah, he's Center. got a set schedule too. Yeah, yeah. Um, my last thing this week is an odd, somewhat sad, somewhat scary story that really hasn't gotten much attention. And I just recently found it. A San Diego high school player 
and the San Diego school district actually has agreed to pay this player four point four million dollars uh, for an injury, a head injury he sustained during a high school football game. That now this student has to communicate through a keyboard or an iPad, uh, and he's bound to a wheelchair. It's it's a totally sad thing. Uh, the kid is now twenty two years old, but. This is one of them gray areas where, uh, look, when you say things like you got to get rid of dirty hits in hockey, you got to get rid of headshots in football, you get accused of uh, trying to pussify or take the contact out of sports. Right. But you've got players uh, after their careers dying early or committing suicide. The one player killed himself and donated his brain to science because he knew something was wrong, and it turned out there was. You've got this kid now in a wheelchair. Where does it stop for football? And if this kid is able to sue or settle with a school district for $4.4 million, this seems like a slippery slope that's bad in both directions. Like like I said, the head injury things are terrible, and now you've got players in high school suing for playing a contact sport and getting hurt. Uh, It's not... Football's in a great place as far as popularity goes, but as far as this type of thing goes, I I think they're in trouble. Uh, the NFL doesn't seem to know how to fix these problems. The, we talked last week, the players are getting bigger and stronger and faster, yet the game is still pretty much identical to the way it used to be. And I don't know that there's a good answer for it. You can't just have these guys hitting each other with collisions that are effectively car crashes and not expect consequences. I mean, at what point, at what point is high school football going to be banned or is football going to, I mean, they have to do something, but what, what do they do? Is it people claim the equipment is too strong and that's what I tend to kind of fall on. The equipment like on your head is too, it's too light and it's too. Well, we've talked a lot on the show about people being a little bit, careless with how they wear the equipment right. you know with chin straps not being tight with mouth sure, guards sure. not being in you know so the equipment is only one part there has to be some responsibility from me, from the athlete to make sure they're utilizing the equipment correctly i remember listening to something that should have been obvious but wasn't it was about hockey they said in the rules like the original hockey rules a check was something that was supposed to be used to separate a player from the puck right now a check is something that's used to intimidate or to hurt somebody or to fire up the crowd and look i love a good check my favorite all-time saber is michael pekka and he used to just clean people out in the middle of the ice with hits that would be suspendable now but that's it's not it's not a necessary play I guess I don't know. It's it's such a gray area because, like I said, you got guys that are dying young. These fighters, uh, what was the tall, Bowm? No, not Bowmeister. The big, huge guy that just died was there. Well, there was three of them who died in the summer. Well, right, there were three players that died in the summer. I mean, that was from fighting. So I mean, fighting could be gone. Uh, They're trying to take hitting out of hockey to some degree. And like I said, I love the hits and everything. So it's it's really a gray area because I'm not gonna say I'm above this stuff. And when someone throws a big open ice hit, I'm I'll stand up in my seat. Yeah, and Derek Bogard, uh, Bogard. Rick Rippin, and Wayne Belak were the three that died. That's right. Yeah. So football and sports in general have a problem, and these players are just are too big, too fast. They have to 
they have to change the sport somehow. You want the speed, especially in a sport like hockey. And football pays people millions of dollars signing bonuses because they have all this speed at like the combine, but uh, they become increasingly dangerous, it seems like. And that's what we said yesterday when we were doing the Saints stuff. This is why it was the wrong time for the Saints to be on the opposite side of player safety with the bounty thing. Yeah. And that's why the NFL has to take a stand and really punish the Saints, and that's a Saints fan saying that. Right. Because now isn't the time to be on the wrong side of player safety. No, absolutely not. And uh, like I said, it's hard to take a stance because you love the hitting, you you love the violence of it all. But this kid now, 22 years old, sure he gets $4.4 million, but he's in it like at what cost. All right, let's take a break, and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the NCAA basketball tournament with the very talented Luke Wynn. Our next guest was born in the state of Wisconsin and is a graduate of the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern University. Today, living in Brooklyn, he is one of the most unique and visual sports writers in the country. He is a full-time college basketball writer for Sports Illustrated and SI.com, and his Power Rankings column for the website is one of the most unique Power Ranking columns on the internet. He also has a very popular blog during the NCAA tournament, and is making his fourth appearance on the podcast during the busiest week of his year. A warm sportscaster is welcome to the very kind and talented Luke Wynn. How are you doing today, Luke? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. So Northwestern was one of those bubble teams that kind of had their bubble burst. Does that disappoint you at all? Are you still a fan of Northwestern athletics, or would you just assume have them out of the way and be able to focus on the tournament as a writer rather than a fan? I guess I would say it wasn't disappointing to me that they were I wasn't disappointed that they were left out of the bracket because I expected that to happen I was disappointed at the way they they so collapsed somewhat at the end of the season because it's kind of been the this almost the refrain of Northwestern basketball under Bill Carmody's there's been these late collapses or, or maybe teasing us by getting close to the NCAA tournament I'm not I'm certainly not like a rabid fan but I mean as an alum it'd be nice to see them in the tournament it wouldn't be like a distraction to me beyond anything that I wouldn't be able to cover anything else, but it would be nice to see them make it. I think that you, if you get into journalism and you get into, you know, college sports journalism, you sort of make this agreement that you're, you know, not going to be a crazy Homer or fan. I mean, I, I think I've tried to be neutral in all things, but I don't think that it's a, it's a problem to just want your alma mater to end one of the most embarrassing you know, droughts in all of college athletics. I think that's reasonable. And it didn't happen. So I don't know when it's going to happen because they're, you know, I don't see it. I don't see it ending anytime soon. I want to ask you this to kind of get started. Just a real kind of general and and simple question. Someone who follows college basketball full time and goes from November to March, was this a good season, an average season, a blow average season? How entertained were you, generally speaking, from November to March? Were there enough interesting storylines to really keep you going all season? Yeah, I mean, I think there were. I think that we got some. I thought we had some excellent games. I mean, if you if you think back, I mean, a lot of them involved the biggest teams too. I mean, you think back, you have the, you know, that Carolina Kentucky game, a huge showcase early in the season. Great, the you know the 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 one Kentucky lost to Indiana was fantastic. The the Missouri Kansas series was excellent. Um, you know, maybe there. 
I'm trying to think of, I mean, there wasn't, maybe there wasn't like a monstrous amount of intrigue, you know, in terms of at the top, at the top of the polls, just because Kentucky had kind of, I thought, separated itself a little bit. But I mean, I, had a, I thought this was a pretty enjoyable season. And I know that people have, uh, you know, I don't know if I love the, the one and done rule itself, but I like the fact that players like Anthony Davis are in college basketball for a year because, I mean, I, I feel like he provided tons of entertainment, you know, all season. Absolutely. So the Kentucky, you mentioned them, and they're the number one overall seed in the tournament, and they hadn't lost a game since December 10th, I believe, before they lost the conference championship game. Do you buy into this thing that, you know, they needed a, a loss before the tournament, do you think that that somehow takes any pressure off not having this huge winning streak going into the thing, or do you think that that's kind of just something that's sort of fabricated somehow in the media? I think it's a little fabricated. I mean, I don't think that they need a loss. I mean, I think that if you saw, if you watched uh, the way John Calipari was coaching them in the SEC tournament, he was already being rather hard on them I think then I mean he'd already kind of cranked it up I don't think that the loss maybe is going to change his tone at all um if anything I I mean I I mean I don't know they they didn't play I thought that it was it was concerning a little bit the way their offense didn't really get going uh, in those SEC tournament games Uh, it worries me a little bit I'm still picking them to win it all but I think that you know that they are going to need. They can't just let the talent take over. They need to have better starts to games, um, and, and they didn't. They didn't really have that in the SEC tournament. So I'm hoping that they'll wake up a little bit. Inevitably, each year, one of the biggest stories in between Selection Sunday and Dayton is, you know, the committee and uh, the job that they did. And they. It's interesting this year because they kind of have full disclosure with the extra bracket show that they did. I believe it was on True TV. Some, it was a cable station, one of their... It cables. was it was True TV. True it, was TV hidden, yeah. it was hidden, but I think enough people <laughs> saw it. it was, uh, you know. What do you think about the job that the committee did this year? Uh, good job, bad job, below average, above average. And how do you think it's different this year with that full disclosure, albeit hidden slightly on True TV? I mean, I think that the, full, the, the more disclosure, the better. I mean, I mean, I think that the NCA has moved towards opening up the process, and it's helped them avoid criticism. I think that they were, for the most part, they were pretty... I, I like the fact that their explanations were consistent on teams. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like they left one team out for one reason, another for... They were pretty clear that they, they, were, they were big on strength of schedule in the early season. And, uh, you know, I mean... I guess you can argue that maybe what a team does in February and March is more important, but I think that for the overall health of college basketball, making this push to, for teams to play tougher schedules early on is a good thing. So, I mean, I thought that, um, you know, I would have liked to see Drexel in the tournament, but, you know, maybe ahead of Iona. But I, I didn't really feel like anyone got snubbed horribly because Drexel really didn't play a good schedule outside of their league. And, you know, and the committee explained, you know, that that was the reason. Uh, you know, they they stuck with it. That was the same reason they didn't consider Missouri for a number one seed, even though they won the Big Twelve tournament. Only had you know, and only had four losses on the season. That's why they were stuck on the number two line. I mean, I thought they were pretty consistent, and and also think that I mean, although people were initially when the bracket came out, you saw people on Twitter saying, "Oh my God, you know, Kentucky's region is loaded." They, you know, it's it's unfair for the number one overall seed. But I think if you look at that region. You know, the committee, the top to bottom, 
you know, the teams are really good, but it's not like Kentucky has to play all 15 other teams. You know, their, their route to New Orleans, actually, I don't think is that hard. They have, you know, they have a UConn team. They, if in the second round, they could, or the third round, they could potentially face UConn, which I think is, you know, there's talent there, but that's just, there's no chemistry on that team. They have problems. I don't think they're a real challenger for Kentucky. And then you get Wichita State. Good bit major, but I mean, Kentucky should be able to beat them. And then I think that Kentucky's region has the weakest, you know, I mean, that's what the committee did. They gave them the weakest two seed, and they gave them a three seed that's okay, but I mean, it's not like Baylor has showed up in most of its big games. So I, I think Kentucky's path to the Final Four is actually somewhat easy. Yeah, you say path to New Orleans. Uh, that's where the Final Four is this year. Does Kentucky have the easiest of the number one seeds, and who might have the hardest? I believe Kentucky does have the easiest. I know that sort of flies in the face of some, of the, you know, what people were initially talking about. But and then I think the the easiest, or sorry, I, Kentucky has the easiest, and I believe the hardest um, is, I think. I mean, I, I think Syracuse because you know you'll their their third round game is probably easy, but Vanderbilt is a team that you know, it's kind of underrated heading in the tournament just because they, you know, they had injuries, you know, Festus Sealy was hurt, and I think he's kind of, you know, they're kind of finally becoming this fully formed team, and they have probably more NBA talent than Syracuse. That's a tough six, Sweet 16 game, even with Vandy's history of maybe flopping the tournament. Um, and also, I think that in the lead eight, the, you run into Ohio State or Florida State, probably. So it's two of the best defenses in the country. And Ohio State is, you know, I mean, for people that follow efficiency stuff, is is a better team than Syracuse numbers wise. So to me, the the Orange got the toughest road, and you know, I think that that's it may keep them out of the Final Four. You know, you mentioned Florida State, and and that's kind of where the college basketball season started for you. With SI's college basketball preview, you did a really extensive. A study on, on defense and defense's effect on college basketball, and Florida State was one of the teams that you featured. Uh, your data that you that you compiled, did you follow it through the season? The effect that defense had on the game. Uh, what were some things you learned in terms of uh, kind of advanced statistics over the uh, the course of the season? Well, it wasn't the the man hours involved in charting these teams made it. I guess impossible to keep up with all the five teams we did in the preview. So it wasn't like I was charting every game, uh, but I kind of continued. But there were things that you would see that were that you know led you to learn about uh, defense, kind of as the season went on. Like looking at a, I mean, I, I did a study on Syracuse's zone, kind of looking at you know where they were strong and maybe the, the impact of Fab Mello kind of taking charges in the middle of the zone and blocking shots. I mean, that learned something. I just did a story in the magazine on. Virginia's pack line defense and the concept of these containment defenses that uh and, and Florida State is kind of one of these containment teams uh in a way that just kind of you know they 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 slow down games to some degree they really do a good job of guarding the basket they don't uh rely on I mean they create some turnovers but they maybe don't rely on it as much but I, I think those are the, some of the strongest defenses in the country whereas like Syracuse is really um predicated on creating turnovers like they're you know one of the top five teams in the country creating turnovers and i think in a tournament environment it's tougher for them to thrive because the games get slower down teams i think are more conservative about the way they the way they play and it gets tougher to i think create the amount of turnovers that you maybe did on a regular basis in the regular in the you know the normal part of the season 
When we talked in the offseason, one thing we talked about was local college basketball in Buffalo, and I asked you if you thought that there was any teams in what I think they call the Big Five here, which is kind of hilarious, um, that might have a chance to make the tournament. And UB came close, didn't make it, but St. Bonaventure did. What is it about this? And it looks like they're going to make it in the women's side too, which is pretty cool. Uh, what is it about St. Bonaventure? I know they have a, an NBA prospect on the team. Uh, is that kind of where they made it through the A-10 based on this NBA prospect, or are they more than that as a team? Well, I mean, I think that Andrew Nicholson did have a, a pretty fantastic uh, A-10 tournament, if you look back at what he did. and and But St. Bonaventure isn't, you know, it's not just him, but I think that he's carrying their offense. I mean, their offense, their offense is, you know, like a top, what, 40 offense nationally, and, and they made a really nice run. I mean, I think that they have... You know, he's not the only one of like Demetrius Conger, I think is you know, he's also a very efficient offensive player. Like between those two guys, you know, that's a it's an offense that's better than a lot of teams have in the tournament and you know, and they're hot going into it. I don't think that they got I don't think that they got the greatest matchup in Florida State because Florida State has you know, I was I thought that maybe if, you know, Nicholson was able to go up against maybe a, you know, a high seed that had a weak front line. Uh, they, who knows, they might be able to win another game, but Florida State, I mean, with Bernard James on the inside and all the other sides that they have and athleticism, I think it's Andrew's going to find it tough to score. You know, Thursday and Friday is college basketball lovers' dream. you got 16 games each day, but not, not every game is exactly appointment television. I got, you know, you got the four number one seeds, you're just going to squash a 16. At least that's been the way it's been historically. A 16's never beaten a one. When you look at those two days, what games get your juices flowing? What are the appointments? Because we can watch any game we want now at this tournament, the way it's set up. So what are the ones that Luke Wynn is definitely going to be watching in those first two days? I think that Wichita State VCU, because I'm going to Portland, Oregon, and so that which got a pretty nice draw. Wichita State VCU, is, to me, is one that I really like. I went to both of the Missouri Valley and CAA tournaments this year, last weekend, and uh I mean, although Wichita State lost early, I think that they're a fantastic team. Kind of disappointed that they got put in Kentucky's region because I was gonna, you know, I was ready to pick them before the brackets came out. I thought that they might be a, you know, it's kind of a sleeper Elite Eight or Final Four team, but I'm not going to do that now. They're in Kentucky's region, but they're they're very talented. And VCU, although probably not built as well for a deep tourney run as they were last year, is extremely exciting to watch. I mean, they pressure like crazy. They're actually putting on more pressure this year than they did last year on teams. They're creating tons of turnovers. They play, it's a completely chaotic game. And I mean, they're, they're, to me, one of the most fun teams to watch. I mean, you know that from last season. So that game um, in particular, I really like. Um, the other ones, I think that Long Beach State, New Mexico was excellent. I mean, New Mexico is a str- really strong team um, coming out of the Mountain West. But Long Beach, you know, if you watch them, they're, like their game against Cr- Creighton, the bracket buster was fantastic. They can score. Casper Ware is going to be the best guard on the floor. I think that has a you know big upset potential, and also um, the eight nine game Memphis St Louis, both those teams way underseeded. I thought that you know Memphis is probably deserving more of like a six seed, and so they're really and St Louis plays excellent defense. I, I, those two that is, I feel really bad for both those teams. They should not be in an eight nine game. It's one of the strongest eight nine games I've ever seen in the bracket. 
All right, the sportscaster is finishing up here with Luke Wynn, who you can follow on Twitter during the tournament at Luke Wynn. And you got to check out his at the tourney blog on SI.com. It's the best thing to read during the tournament, in my opinion. Let's get you here. Let's get you out of here on two things. One, I need a final four from you, and two, I just want to know, kind of in general, what do you when you when you get ready for the at the tourney blog, as opposed to your feature writing in the magazine and other things that you put online, like your power rankings. What are you looking for most? Are you looking for kind of human interest type stuff? Are you looking for X's and O's? What makes that blog so great? Because I, I think it's great. Oh, I think you have to go. I think you just have to do go all over the place with it. That's the thing. Is that I mean, I know that I'm pretty heavily into numbers during the season, but I think you have to mix it up. I think I got to kind of come up with some things that are like what happens in the power rankings. You know, some you know statistical analysis graphics, but. With the blog, you know, we're, I'm, I'm also on the road. You know, I'm at the, I'm at the tournament sites, and so we've got to combine some reporting and actual, you know, being there, seeing stuff. So, to me, it only works well if it's a blend of all that. You know, if it's just one note the whole time, then it probably gets a little boring. So, I feel like every, you know, every week I should have a mix of all those things. That's that to me is what makes it. You know, because because the fact that I still have access, I gotta. You know, you could do the statistical analysis stuff from home, but you know, part of the deal with being part of Sports Illustrated is that you get access to teams that people don't have. So we got to use that. You know, absolutely. All right, final four, and we'll get you out. Uh, the final four I have in the bracket I just submitted to SI is Kentucky out of the South, Michigan State out of the West, Florida State in upsets out of the East. And Kansas out of the Midwest. All right, again, it's Luke Wynn at Luke Wynn at the Tourney Blog. Thank you very much. I know it's your busy time. We really appreciate you fitting the sportscasters in. Enjoy the tournament. We'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks a lot for having me on. Appreciate thank, it. Thank you, Luke. All right, bye. All right, we have to thank the great Luke Wynn for making time for us on his busiest week of the year. Let's switch gears here a little bit. Sportscasters 10. Last week, Don and I updated our list of uh, Stanley Cup competitors, and then we also had a co-list. So I thought this week it would be cool if we independently came up with our own lists, our own top 10s, and uh, see what we came up with. So, Don, what'd you come up with? Well, you told me your idea, so I kind of played off that, and we uh, we like to think we're a versatile podcast and get into the pop culture and everything. So I came up with the top 10 sports video games of all time, and this is a very personal list, so when certain things aren't on there, it's this is my top 10, not necessarily the end-all, be-all top 10. Right, and my idea was to do the top 10 sports documentaries. I've turned in into over the last couple of months kind of a documentary freak I, I almost watch one a day and i always watch a sports one if i can so basically we got two different lists today the top 10 sports documentaries in the mind of myself and the top ti- top 10 sports video games in the mind of don and why don't we just go back and forth giving our number 10 until we give our number one all right i'll start it off uh, my number 10 is probably a lot higher on most people's list but i'm going to start with tecmo super bowl uh 
I just didn't. I never owned this game. I don't believe so. Most of the time I played it, I played it on emulators. Sorry, Nintendo, but uh, it's a great game. Uh, everyone knows it inside and out. Back to the everyone knows has seen the Bo Jackson clip online where you can run around for an entire quarter and then just score a touchdown. But uh, uh, really, the first game I, that I can remember, you could like actually pick plays and set your defense and stuff. So. Uh, great start to f- football franchises. Yeah, Tecmo Super Bowl is really ahead of its time. Yeah. Even Tecmo Bowl, you can argue, is a little bit ahead of its time as the 8-bit game there. Yep. All right, my number 10 sports documentary of all time is Hitman Heart Wrestling with Shadows. This is a really cool documentary because it wasn't sanctioned by the WWF at all. So you don't have their slant. So many of the WWF documentaries have the WWF or WWE slant to them. Their side of the oh, story. Right, right. This one was independently done. I think it was produced in England. And what's awesome about it and what puts it in the top 10 is that it was they were filming it during the November 97 screw job, the most infamous moment in WWE or wrestling history when the WWF, fearing that Bret the Hitman Hart would leave with their title, decided to have a screw job finish and give the title to Sean. Michaels, and you get to see Bret Hart spit in the face of Vince McMahon, and <laughs> it's really, really well done. And it's my number ten: Hitman Hart Wrestling with Shadows. My number nine was uh, Nintendo World Cup. Uh, the cart I happened to have back on the NES also came with Super Spike V Ball, which was a decent game, but I didn't get, I didn't play it as much as Nintendo World Cup. But Nintendo World Cup was an awesome soccer game. Uh, you could just, you could blast the opponent, or you could slide tackle them. Eventually, they would just stay on the ground and not get up. <laughs> You could do like these bicycle kicks that would make super shots, and some of the teams were unfair. Like Argentina's super shot, uh, kind of was like a homing missile, would go in the net pretty much from anywhere. But uh, it was uh, got a lot of play in my house. My number nine is Ken Burns baseball. Ken Burns is one of the most famous documentarians of all time. Uh, baseball is not something you can watch in one night. It's ten different innings as they're broken down uh one through nine and then was the the original set and then they had the 10th inning i believe last year which uh picked up where it had left off and goes through the steroid era the only negative to ken burns baseball and the reason that i have it a little bit lower is so much of it is spent in an era when i wasn't a baseball fan okay you know it takes them so long to get to the 1980s you know, and the film really ends in 1994. So there's only really 14 years of this film are spent when I was alive and watching baseball. So it might be one that an older fan might appreciate sure. more. But you can't deny the greatness of it. And Ken Burns is an incredible filmmaker. So Ken Burns baseball had to be on the list. My number eight game is, I believe, the only golf game on my list. And it's not a Tiger Woods game. It was Mario Golf, specifically for the Nintendo 64. Uh, this game was awesome. You could It was basically played like a tiger woods you have this the bar that you have to stop at the power and then back again at the at the end but you can give it top spin back spin the balls which also could take power shots and different players at different abilities and it was also like a cool like putt putt like mini golf mode it was just a really cool all-around golf game uh with nintendo's cutesy characters and mario is the word of the day here today that's right all right number eight i have Top 10 sports documentaries. Do you believe in miracles? The story of the 1980 U.S. hockey team. I believe this is an HBO documentary. HBO makes fantastic sports documentaries, and uh, this this is a great this is a really good one. And you know, this story is a story that's been told quite a bit to this point. Maybe there's not a lot you didn't know about it, but uh, do you believe in miracles? I think is a big reason why we know as much about this 80 hockey team as we do. So that's a really exciting one for the U.S. hockey fan. 
My number seven is was a huge one at the arcades. That's NBA Jam Tournament Edition specifically. Uh, the only downfall maybe the Tournament Edition. I'm not sure if the other ones had it, but there was no Michael Jordan in this version. Uh, I believe there's some other characters missing too. But the Tournament Edition added things like you could put hot spots on the field, where if you scored from the hot spots, it'd be worth like eight or nine points, whatever. Uh, but everyone remembers NBA Jam, just a brutal, uh, wildly uh, caricatured version of the NBA with just huge dunks and guys on fire. It was awesome. I actually have been playing quite a bit the uh, iPad version of oh, NBA right, Jam. Oh, right, right. And it's really fun. Translates really well to any platform. Yep. All right, my number seven is my uh, only other wrestling film in my top ten, and it's called Beyond the Mat. And oh, yeah, yeah. it's a really, really dark, dark look yeah, into the world of wrestling. It's not too and it follows a few different wrestlers. Mick Foley is one, and Jake the Snake is another one. And his story is really dark. They show him basically blowing off his daughter's graduation to smoke crack. Yeah, you actually see Jake the Snake Roberts, you know, smoking crack, and you see his demise. And that it, part always feels a little slow to me in the middle. Maybe because there's just. There's not a lot of hope there to watch. Yeah, there's not much hope. It's it's dark and it's sad, but I think it's an important story that had to be told, and it's it's good. It's very good. It is it is very good. Uh, my number six made this guy a million or probably close to a billionaire, but he's made a ton of money off it. But Tony Hawk, uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater, I'll say number two. Again, I had an N64. Uh, the first pro skater game was huge. So when the second one came out, there was all sorts of hype for it and it lived up to it. It was a great game. Uh, you could kind of level your characters up and there was different. The two player mode was good. You could either do tricks or there's all sorts of competitive modes, just a, a lot of depth to a pretty simple concept and they pulled it off. Great. Quick aside, give me your, your, uh, council history. I had a Nintendo. Right. Well, I had an Atari. I had okay. the Atari, uh, the brown one. So it was probably the 2600, I think. Uh, I had a Nintendo. I had a Genesis. Then then I don't think I had another system until the N- N64. And then I had a PS2 and now a PS3. And so there's Wii. Some, there's some gaps in there. Yeah, and the Wii. All right. So I had never had Atari. I had the 8-bit Nintendo, the NES system. Yep. Then I had Sega Genesis was my system after that. Yep. Then I had PlayStation One. Okay. Two, and three, and I also have the Wii. Right. Okay. My number six top ten sports documentaries of all time was actually the first program to ever air on the new NBC Sports Network. It's called Cold War on Ice, and it's just an incredible look at the 1972 Summit Series. And I love it because it's, to me, an untold story. I didn't grow up in Canada, you know, so I don't know the story of the 72 Summit Series as well as maybe some Canadians or even Russians do. I learned a ton watching it. And that's what I love about a documentary is just the ability to learn so much. And in an entertaining way, it's not boring like school. And I thought the Cold War High Nice just does a fantastic job of of uh, making the NBC Sports Network a player in the uh, sports documentary war, which is generally dominated by ESPN and also HBO. Right, right. My number five is another huge one at the arcades, and that was NFL Blitz. Uh, My personal choice is Blitz 2000. I had that for the N64 also. If you haven't played Blitz, it's like the NBA Jam, but for football, it's awesome. Uh, I think guys would start on fire in that game too. Uh, Deep Go 
was the play. Yep. You just send one of your receivers and he'd be open. You could just bomb it. Uh, you could play. There was uh, the little things at the beginning was almost like a like a slot machine. If you needed codes. certain codes, yep. you could punch him in, and your kicker could kick field goals from like the opposite two yard line if you want ever kicked in that game. But uh, it was just awesome, over the top. It paved the way for games like NBA and uh, NFL Streets later on that were pretty similar. But uh, everyone remembers Blitz. I liked it. It kind of had a different twist on things. You know, instead of playing a season or whatever, the, the object of the game was to beat every team. And the teams oh, yeah, got yeah. harder as they went on, right? Maybe not in the tournament edition, but certainly in the uh, arcade version. All right, my number five, it's hard for me to justify this is a sport, but just about in any list I've seen of the top sports documentaries, this was included, so why not? Fistful of Quarters. Um, and that's the story of the Donkey Kong um, the Donkey Kong King of Kong, or is it King, a different one? Yeah, it's the Fistful oh, of Quarters, King oh, okay, of Kong. Yeah, okay. yeah. So that's that's the name of it, and um, yeah, it is good. It's a really good documentary. It 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 kind of villainizes one of the great, <laughs> I guess, gamers of all time. Sure, and yeah. There's the good guys and there's bad guys and there's winners and there's losers, and it's a really exciting story and a look at arcading and gaming. And apparently, this is a sports documentary, so. Number five. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty loose definition of sports. You got any poker documentaries on that list? Yes, I do. Well, <laughs> cards. Oh, okay. Uh, my number four was Madden 03. Uh, really, any of the Madden franchises, they kind of started the bad habit of putting out the same game with different paint job. But uh, Madden 03, I think, is the one that I played the most. And looking this up, I was trying to remember which one it was. And I went through the Wikipedia's. I was trying to find the player rankings. That was hard to do, but I was able to find like the track listings of the songs. And as soon as I saw uh, Andrew WK's "Let's Start a Party" or right, yeah. "Party Hard," it's like that was the one I played. So yeah, yeah Madden 03 was the one that got the most play for me, and that's my number four. My number four is that card one. It's called "Holy Rollers: The Story of Co- Card Counting Christians." Pretty incredible story of a bunch of religious people who got together and started a card counting team and basically took a couple million dollars out of casinos in the few years that the team was team was active and it's a pretty pretty awesome documentary you can get it on iTunes and it's it's really entertaining because these guys they got away with it so long cuz nobody expected the christian guys to be the <laughs> ones taking down the casinos my number where would it go my number 3 is the probably the, no definitely the newest game on my list and that's Wii Sports uh it's not it's about as traditional a sports game as something like Mario Golf is, but it still holds up almost as good as the day you first got it. And I know the day I first got the Wii Sports, particularly the bowling, is what everybody plays. I was blown away uh, how accurate it felt and how good it felt. And I, you play the crap out of it. And some of the other modes aren't bad either, like the little mini games with like the tennis mode and the golf and stuff. But particularly the bowl, the bowling. Uh, has gotten more play than maybe any game for the system, and it was a, like a free throw-in launch title for the Wii, and it just translated great. And, you know, anyone can play it. I've heard <laughs> stories of elderly oh, yeah, tournaments in, in nursing homes, and it, it spans generations. Pretty much anyone who can come to your house could play that with you. Yeah, they've made robots, I think, that have bowled 300 games. That's incredible. <laughs> All right, my number three is also the newest on my list. It's so new that it debuted on Sunday, but it's that great. Wow. And it's the announcement. Uh, and it's about the uh, Magic Johnson's AIDS announcement. And never have I been 
it, it was a reminder when I watched it the other day of how powerful the documentary can be. It was a great piece of storytelling by ESPN. And I love the way that they used Magic Johnson as a narrator. It really uh, made it feel personal. And the topic of AIDS and sports and the NBA and all the different things. To make a, a film that, that centered around one announcement, one press conference that only lasted a few minutes. And, and the way that they were able to take every element of it and document it. I thought about it at number one, but I settled at number three. My number two is probably not on a lot of people's list, but I absolutely love this game and wish they would make another one. That's Mutant League Football. It was also made by EA Sports. So they might have been just called EA Electronic Arts or whatever at the time, but it was awesome. It controlled exactly the same as Madden did at the time, but instead of controlling NFL players, you controlled aliens or mutants or robots or uh, <clears throat> like these little troll ogre guys. And when you would tackle them, sometimes their body parts would blow apart and they would fumble. There were bombs on the field. It's almost like a mix between Madden and Blitz with a... Well, yeah, with bombs and uh, alien crazy power-ups. Right. And you could bribe the ref in the middle of the game or he would just start calling penalties on the other team. And then they would have to use their kill the ref audible and go kill the referee. Uh, they also came out with Mutant League Hockey, which was also good. But Mutant League Football was my favorite. All right, my number two is Hoop Dreams, probably the number one on most people's list. Pretty incredible piece of storytelling. It followed the career of a couple of, co- uh, couple of high school basketball players and um, in the, from the Chicago area. And it's just, it's, it's awesome. It's an awesome, awesome documentary. Everyone knows it, just about everyone's seen it. And uh, it's number one on most lists, number two on mine. My number one game might be number one on a lot of people's list. Uh, the theme song is very recognizable, and that's NHL 94. Uh, back when I played this game, the Sabres had Pat LaFontaine, Dale Howarchuk, Alex McGillney. So, I mean, that probably helped why I liked it so much because they were such a good team. For whatever reason, I think McGillney was right-handed and LaFontaine was left-handed. So I would put McGillney at center because I had an easier time scoring to that side every time. And... Uh, you could, if you want, you figure the tricks out. You'd be scoring twenty, thirty goals a game Many, with yeah. certain guys, and uh, the the stats didn't quite work because like McGillney was fast, but he was never quite known as like a hitter. But because he was fast in that game, he would just lay people out. But it was a great, it was a great, great hockey game, and uh, really what probably introduced me to sporting video games. I always was the Canucks, and what was great about them is they had the three one hundred speed guys: Cliff Ronning, Jeff Courtnow, and Pavel Bure. Yeah. So I had some speed when I was uh, the Canucks. My number one might not be the number one on anyone's list, but it's one of the films that I've really made me fall in love with the genre. It's called Takedown and Falls, a documentary film about a wrestling team in Pennsylvania that's coach is suffering from cancer. It's a story of uh, a team that has a couple players end up winning the state title at their weights, and they win the overall state title. It's kind of a... Uh, definitely a long shot, um, and it's an incredible. It's a, just an incredible film. Take down the falls. I, I highly recommend it, and it's number one on my list. And Don, you got some, some uh, honorable mentions. Oh, I do actually. Yeah, a few games that didn't make my list. FIFA World Cup, particularly. I think it was two thousand two. I played a lot of that, but that was a game that didn't make my list. Another soccer game was Mario Super Strikers. Uh, I didn't need too many soccer games on there, so I left those two off. And another game that many people probably haven't played but was really good but 
it's kind of loosely a sports game is sim golf uh you it's like sim city or sim yeah you get to make courses park. you make the courses yeah. and you kind of like watch people play the courses and they can't be too hard or people get aggravated it can't be too easy or people get aggravated and it's just a really cool game. I kind of left it off the list because it was more like a micromanagement game than it was a sports game because you actually weren't playing the game. I wonder if there's an iPad version of that. That might be really fun. It, it was it was a really cool game, and I think uh, I had it on the PC. I know that, but I think uh, something like my save file got corrupted or something like that, and I never went back and played it again because I had all these cool courses and I was pissed off, but... It's a really fun game. You can make your own pro, and he would get better, and you could earn money for your courses by entering tournaments with him. But really cool, honorable mention, a little bit lesser-known game, Sim Golf. Uh, a couple honorable mentions for me. Uh, the Street Stops Here is a really good documentary about uh, Bobby Hurley's dad's pro, uh, high school basketball program in New Jersey. Uh, also, the 30 for 30 series by ESPN has oh, been yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Um, Showtime just put out a, a documentary about the Army versus Navy football game that was really, really good. Give you a look at both institutions. So there's all kinds of great sports documentaries out there. And some of the famous ones that didn't make my list um, but seem to be on every list. You know, what's interesting about the sports documentary is people seem to love ones that are about the non-traditional sports. You know, the do- like. Right now, there's a documentary that everyone's raving about called uh, Senna, S-E-N-N-A, about a race car driver. I'm just not into it. There's too many too many subtitles. Another one, Once in a Lifetime, is a really good look at uh, Pele's uh, journey to the United States as a soccer player in New York City. Uh, Murderball is one I haven't seen oh, yeah. yet, but I want to. About uh, It's like a polo-style game yeah. in wheelchairs, or a uh, rugby-style game in wheelchairs. Um, Endless Summer comes up. Uh, up a lot. That's about surfing. Um, what else? I mentioned the the King of Kong, a fistful of quarters. Also, Pumping Iron is a documentary about Arnold. Uh, Arnold. It's kind of how he broke onto the scene. And When We Were Kings, it's a documentary about the um, George Foreman and Muhammad Ali, Ali fight. I, it was a little boring for me, but it's number one on, on a lot of lists. Hmm. All right, that's it for the Sportscasters 10 today. We're going to take a break and come back with a- Andrew Lawrence. Our next guest is from Brooklyn, New York, and is a graduate of the University of Missouri. He isn't an actor, songwriter, or a comedian from the UK. He is a writer and reporter for Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com. At SI, he covers the National Football League, the WNBA, women's college basketball, and tennis. Today is making his second appearance on the podcast. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the very talented Andrew Lawrence. How are you doing today, Andrew? I'm doing great. How are you guys? I never realized how many famous Andrew Lawrences there were until I did some research. I mean, there's a stand-up comedian in the UK. There's a singer, songwriter. It's like, oh, man. I'm I'm pretty well covered for Google searches. There is about... You know, fifty more important guys with my name before <laughs> before you get to me, which gives me a lot of wiggle room for embarrassing behavior. So. Yeah, I, um, embarrassing public behavior at least. I was pretty low on the list of Steves until I became ESPN Steve yesterday on Twitter. Okay, <laughs> now I'm now I'm way up. No, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. I'm just kidding. I I would never. Uh, 
never question the name of uh, Aaron Andrews like that. Uh, right. We're glad never. to have you on the show today. Um, obviously, we appreciate you making time for us on the day where you know all so much is happening in the world of the NFL. And I just want to get your opinion on on some of what has happened so far. First thing that comes to my mind, sort of being a Saints fan, as the Saints re-signing Marcus Colston. Um, just curious, do you think it was a smart move? Obviously, there's some other players that they're going to lose now. Probably not going to be able to keep Carl Nix or Robert Meacham or Tracy Porter. But they kind of had to make their priorities, and apparently they decided on Colston. Do you think that was smart, and do you think that the contract is fair for both sides? I think it was smart. I mean, if you look at that offense since Breeze got there, like he was, you know, very much the first unknown receiver that he made into kind of a relatively household name. And still, when you look at that receiving core, you know, for for as much as uh, as Breeze spreads it around, I feel like if he if he needs a guy to make a play and he knows that at least one guy won't, if there's one guy in there who will be the most consistent in terms of making a play, it's definitely Colston. I, I feel, you know, I felt like the deal was fair, uh, you know, to both sides. I thought it was cool that he kind of gave him, gave him a break, gave him a discount, you know, just because he wanted to stay there until I heard, you know the the news coming out of Washington, right. but, uh, but but yeah, up until about a few hours ago, I thought yeah that was a that was a fair deal for both sides, and uh, that their front office is pretty good about finding guys, surrounding him with guys that uh, that he and Breeze can can make better. So you know, with the Saints signing Colston and not Meacham, who maybe they could have gotten for a little less. Do you think the Saints? Are kind of saying that red zone offense is really important in the NFL now because it seems like you know Meacham's a guy more that will stretch the field, someone that you'd expect to score a fifty or sixty yard touchdown. Where Colston, you expect to to be more of a presence in the red zone, and with the combination of Colston and Jimmy Graham and even Sproles, it seems like the Saints are focusing their offense and making sure that they can score points in the red zone. I think that they're acknowledging that, you know, not so much that the NFL is a red zone game now, but that it's a mismatch game. That it seems like, you know, based on what the Saints did uh, this year with the numbers that that Jimmy Graham was able to produce, uh, what the Patriots did at the tight end position, they showed that, you know, not only can you win with a guy that size, intermediately, but, you know, particularly the Saints, that, you know, if you've got a guy who's, you know, 6'5 and can run like a 4'4", four, four, you can, you can uh, you know, you can put him out wide and uh, and everybody will follow him. And if you have a guy like Sproles, like sneaking out of the backfield or in the slot, you can, you can hit them big or you can hit them small to intermediate there. So I think it's more of an acknowledgement of like a new way to think about putting offense together and right there just with those three threats like Graham, Colston and um and Sproles, like the Saints are still an incredibly 
you know, dynamic off. I mean, like most offenses will kill to have one of those guys. They have three and the luxury of like two other receivers who are, right. you know, one a to Colston. Right. So uh, really, you know, they they kind of got away with uh, with an embarrassment of riches for a while. It just means that they'll have to develop some guys behind Colston who can sustain that pace, and I'm sure they will. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Washington, and the news coming out of there is seemingly. A little bit crazy. I mean, it tends to be this time of the year down there. They're not afraid to spend their money, and they made a huge splash with Pierre Garçon today. And the interesting thing about not just that they signed Pierre Garçon, it's how much they signed him for. The report is five years, $42 million, $21.5 million guaranteed. And both of those numbers are more than what Colston got from the Saints. How surprising is that move, and does it make sense or not? Because I would lean towards not. I, I mean, we we talk about it every year that you know you can't you can't win the off season, but we really should start thinking about giving them a prize because they <laughs> they try. They, I mean, they really every year. You know, you think they're gonna be it's gonna be a quiet year in Redskins Park, and then they you know they do something like this. Even like this week, you knew that they would. They were going to go after the number two pick. You just didn't realize they were going to give up quite so much to get there. And then on the heels of that, you have this deal for a guy that, you know, two years ago, I'm sure nobody in their scouting department even heard of until, you know, injuries forced him into the cold starting lineup. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, Al Michaels can't stop making puns with this guy's name in it. I mean, this is this is an amazing contract. I mean, on one hand, you know, had had the uh, had the draft to trade to move up to two not happened, you would see this and maybe think, well, maybe maybe this is the the bait that they're using to get Peyton Manning. But this, I mean, this I just I can't even explain like how out of the blue this is. I mean. Of all of the guys that you could presumably spend money on this off season to uh, help you uh, help with your downfield passing game, like he is not, he is the guy you would think that you could get, you know, kind of at a at a discount. But this this is, uh, I mean, he, I'm sure I would love to see uh, what his expression was when his agent kind of told him what they were offering. And what he said right afterward. Now, this is just truly amazing to me. My guess is he probably did a backflip or two before he said anything. <laughs> yeah. uh, it seems... Imagine, imagine how much money I'll have to be able to spend on, uh, you know, mouth guards with fangs on them now. <laughs> <laughs> seems like a lot of the news of the day is surrounding wide receivers. We got two more wide receiver stories. I want to get your opinion on. One is that I think maybe the smartest move of the day is the Bears finally. Put some talent around Jay Cutler, especially at the wide receiver position, only at the price of two number three uh, draft picks. What do you think of the deal? Do you think that, especially from the Miami side, what what are they saying uh, by letting Marshall go? Because it doesn't seem like that's a strong message to Peyton Manning. They're saying that Stephen Ross basically has no idea what he's doing there. I saw that, and I was, I was, uh, I was pleasantly 
uh, surprised by that. On the one hand, you're like, I remember this being a deal that people were talking about doing last year, um, you know, before before he, uh, you know, as as there is kind of uh, ruminations, uh, even of him coming to Miami in the first place, that he would go to Chicago out of Denver as soon as Cutler landed in Chicago. But I mean. You know, this is the guy that, uh, the, you know, both of these guys mutually benefited uh, for having played with, with each other when they were at Denver. I mean, both were, um, you know, Pro Bowl, went to their first Pro Bowls, and, uh, and, and um, you know, they were, they were tremendous together. The chemistry between them uh, it was, it goes without saying. So I think, it's funny, like, backtracking a little bit, but before this even happened, last night I was with friends watching uh, the Bulls uh, debone the Knicks, and uh, we were having a conversation, an inevitable conversation about Jay Cutler, and it's just like you can tell that, you know, like it's just saying like one of the things that I like so much about the guy is that he, for all of the flack that he takes, he is like not political in the sense that he kind of betrays his team's message and, you know, there, there are moments when he will betray the message that the team is trying to present. So I remember there was a game, if not last year, maybe two years ago, that he played, and uh, Devin Aromashadu totally broke out, like the fourth guy, barely the fourth guy in their, in their receiving depth chart. And, uh, and somebody asked Cutler after the game, like, why Devin, you know, like, who is this guy? Why is he playing so well? And... You know, Jay being Jay was like, you know, I've been telling these guys to play him the entire time. Okay. Like he might be the best receiver they have. And then, you know, you fast forward today to today and they make this move. And I can just picture Jay saying, like, I told these guys when I got here to <laughs> trade for this guy because he's probably the best receiver in the league. Right. So, I mean, I think that this is really, I mean, this is the guy that, you know, Chicago's been hoping for i mean they've been kind of uh this is like taking you know the somebody with like musin muhammad's size and uh and uh and like pass catching reliability and giving him devin hester's speed and now you know plucking him into into a or putting him into a um into a receiver rotation where he's got you know a devin hester who can kind of stretch it although people are, are, are kind of not following him or paying as much attention to him as the receivers they used to, even though he's improving. And, uh, and Earl Bennett, who I thought had was like easily Chicago's best receiver last year, but who is another guy who understands Jay's quirks and right, knows how to get open for him. So, uh, so I think now, you know, you add to that the Matt Forte piece, and uh, now Chicago, assuming that they can get that line uh, fortified a bit more, starts to look like a real legitimate uh, offensive threat. Yeah, and it's certainly starting to look like Jay Cutler's team, too, with the connection between him and Marshall. And as you mentioned, Earl Bennett, who he, he was uh, one, of, one of his main targets at Vanderbilt. The last uh, piece of news in terms of wide receivers is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers suddenly have a very big wide receiver cores. They they added Vincent Jackson uh, to the mix today. So you put him with Mike Williams and uh, the first rounder that they drafted, whose name is uh, escaping me right now. But uh, a, a really nice wide receiver core uh, for Josh Freeman. 
for Josh Freeman. Right. Yeah. What 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 do you think of uh, Vincent Jackson ending up in in Tampa Bay? Well, I know now Josh is going like now I I can never throw a pass too long. You know, uh, just having a guy that's that big and that fast and just seeing how many, you know, just seeing him, you know, in San Diego and watching just how many balls, how many effort balls, uh, you know, um, Philip Rivers threw up to him uh, through the years, right. especially when guys jumped offside, uh, that wound up going for touchdowns. I mean, this has to be, I mean, this is this is great for Josh in terms of his development and uh, his margin for error now and uh, for the rest of the core in, in terms of having a guy who can uh, can set an example for everybody else. Yeah, and Arnelius Ben was the uh, other guy I was thinking of from Illinois. That they, right. Yeah, right, so right. they now have Arnelius Ben, Mike Williams, and Vincent Jackson, which is suddenly one of the possibly better wide receivers uh, tandems in the league. But they're going to have to decide what they're going to do at running back, running back if they're going to keep Blunt or if they're going to maybe draft uh, a Richardson or something like that in the in with their top five pick. Yeah, I mean, I could see them, you know, kind of going, going more of the the cheaper developmental route because you know teams are proving now you don't you don't really need a premier back to win, and if you have if you have those kinds of weapons on offense, you know the uh, the the rest can kind of take care of itself. I could see them kind of getting away with signing a guy like, uh, you know, Joseph Adai or somebody like that just to have, you know, you know, a couple guys in there who can, you know, kind of bang through the line and who won't cough up the ball and who will give, you know, three, four yards of carry might be good enough in a, in a system like that. Drew, we're in Buffalo, New York, and people here are at the airport <laughs> Probably already uh, waiting to welcome Mario Williams and Robert Meacham, both of whom have scheduled their first visit with the Bills. Uh, the Bills are seemingly in the pole position, so to speak, to land Williams and Meacham. What would that mean for the Bills? I mean, the Bills aren't generally considered a team that makes moves like this, are they? They're really not. I mean, I've, uh, the last, uh, I guess, uh, Airport welcome I can think of that you guys uh, pulled out the stops for was <laughs> yeah. a TO of course that uh, when we all know how how well uh, how well that went oh it went but, great um, <laughs> but uh, but it's interesting to see uh, the Bills uh, kind of get into the mix here because they're always kind of thought of as a traditionally you know frugal franchise but I th- I don't know something about and of the way that they've uh, they've gone about free agency uh, these last couple of years uh, in the uh, in the Gailey era have been uh, have been very interesting. I mean, I mean last year in particular, I feel like on the defensive end they were a much better team, like a dramatically better team when Sean Merriman was in there. And here's a guy that nobody was. Uh, Really, uh, really checking for after after the last couple of down seasons with the Chargers, and uh, you know I think if you if you bring him back in the, into a into a system with Mario Williams, I mean that's that's a, that's an incredible kind of defense to think about, especially in in this in the AFC East division. I mean, two uh, two high quality pass rushers like that, then the question becomes like. Where, what do you do with 
with William? Do you continue with the experiment with him on the outside, or do you put him back uh, in a stand-up position uh, at the end? But I, but I like, I like that move a lot. And uh, as far as uh, the Meacham signing, the, is, I think is uh, is great uh, if they can if they can pull it off. I mean, they've uh, you know they've got a great receiver in Stevie Johnson who who amazingly undersells himself as a deep threat. Um, you know, he's like, I'm a guy who, who uh, you know, he visited with us uh, in the office last season. I think this was before, like, or during the lockout, and we were talking a little bit about his skill set, and he's like, he doesn't really, everybody kind of mistakenly pegs him as a deep threat guy, but he's just right. a guy who's very good at getting open, and if you put him next to a guy who is a deep threat guy, I mean, I think his his production goes up dramatically. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think that that both of those signings would uh, would maybe make them a uh, a dark horse pick to to come out of the East. It all kind of depends on on you know what what the Patriots' uh, chess move winds up being. Of course, if they end up. Uh, you know, going for a Brandon Lloyd or a similar type of player, kind of round out their their receiving core, and make them make them a little bit more credible vertically. Um, but yeah, I, I like I like both of those. But you know, it all comes down to whether or not the Bills can pull it off. Right, and if they, and you can tell me if you agree or disagree, but I think if they can pull it off, you know, one thing the Bills are always fighting for in the National Football League is relevance, especially during this long period of not making the playoffs. And I think that's a lot about what the T.O. signing was about. But I think now, you know, Buddy Nix is kind of trying to send a message that, one, we're going to re-sign our own players. So that's something that they haven't done for a long time. So I think that the Steve Johnson move is really important to re-sign their own player. And I think, two, they're going to say, we're going to be a player in yours as well. We're going we're gonna to be a team that's going we're gonna, to we're gonna make serious offers. And I think if you look at the way they're building the team, you know, potentially the defense could have Darius in the middle. You know, then you could have Mario Williams on the outside, as you said, paired with paired with uh, Sean Merriam. And also they have Kyle Williams down there, who's a pro bowler. And then on the offensive side, they're building around Fitzpatrick with the two running backs and maybe the two receivers. So it seems like a team that finally could be considered a serious playoff contender. But yeah, I mean, as to that to the first part of your point, I feel like every year, you know, the Bills put a player on the market, especially on the defensive end, that winds up, you know, setting setting the market in some sense. Whether that's Plesnowski, I'm going to completely mangle right, his name. Who's now Paul, who was with the Bills, right. now with the Jaguars. <laughs> um, the uh, you know your the defensive secondary all you know there's always some guy coming out of there who's like unbelievable mm-hmm. and uh, even you know even the guys who don't work out necessarily like beast mode end up going to Seattle and getting franchise back money when people aren't really throwing around franchise back money anymore um, so I think it is I think it is impressive that they're just even to say like we are not you know developing other people's talent anymore. I think that's a that's an important line in the sand for them to draw and I think that you know and I think the fact that like other you know free, free agents from other teams that are seeing that I think that's that that's really impressive as well. The sportscasters are here with Andrew Lawrence 
writer for Sports Illustrated, sportsillustrated.com. You can find it on Twitter at SI underscore Drew Lawrence. Drew, let me ask you this. If you were Peyton Manning, where would you want to go? Oh, I want to go home. You know, <laughs> travel. That weekend bag is enormous. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about, uh, I don't know how much swag he's getting from uh, from other teams. You know, party party packages and, you know, parting gifts that he's he's receiving. But that, it just seems like every time he goes somewhere, that bag gets bigger. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. If, if staying in Indianapolis was so important to Peyton, like, he could have done that. Right. Um, he just couldn't have done it at $28 million, but he could have done it. Um, but, okay, I'll, I'll take your question seriously. If I were him, I mean, it seems like, just kind of looking at the situation, that Arizona would obviously be the easiest fit for him just in terms of, you know, he'd be playing in a, in a market that's very similar to the one he's in, better climate, indoors, um, you know, and, and a lot of good, uh, a lot of good pieces to work with on, uh, on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, they're not many moves away from getting him the kind of line protection that he wants, you know, and, and certainly enough of his old playmakers are available in free agency that they could put, you know, they could uh, get a Dallas Clark, you would think, or a, or a Reggie Wayne or somebody like that, or even a Joe Adai, you know, to, to kind of pair him with Beanie Wells. Or, you know, whatever. Like, I feel like Arizona has the flexibility to do something like that. And on defense, I mean, that defense was outstanding last year. And I think the quarterback play and the quarterback play been you know a few percentage points better. Like we're talking about a team that you know probably could have snuck in and been a wild card, like firmly a, a wild card team. But uh, I, I mean, I would think that that would be the best move for him. Any anything else puts him in conflict with his brother or puts him in weather. And I know either of those situations probably isn't isn't amenable to him. But it'll it'll be interesting to see where he lands, not only that, but I guess how quickly, you know, that domino, uh, the domino effect, you know, throughout the rest of the free agent market, like how quickly other people find elsewhere. You can see how much, how much he's holding up other people's futures at the same time. What so, do you think? Take a place already. What do you think hey. that the Broncos just dipping their feet in this means for, for Tim Tebow? Can, can he, can he stay there regardless of whether or not they sign Manning? It means that the Tebow mania was fun, and it got us to a playoff game, but it is not sustainable in the long term. Um, I I really don't see that. See, that's the thing. Like then Manny, like Manny goes to Denver, and you know he's possibly you know he's up against a few things. One, you know, you got like a couple couple suspensions perhaps to some key contributors to the defense which affects a unit that that had uh, surprised a lot of people last year a good unit had potential to be a great unit um two you're in the throes of this tebow mania controversy whether whether he's there or not you're the reason why he's not starting and a whole bunch of people who follow him were upset i mean i saw a poll uh, I think yesterday or the day before that said something like, 
you know, whatever the billboard poll that uh, that uh, that's up in Denver that just kind of right. takes the daily temperature of Tebow mania, and sixty one percent of them would still want Tebow to start, you know, oh, over Manning. That's insane. And um, and so so okay, so you if you remove uh, you know Tebow from the equation, then you've got Elway, you know, still the the shadow of John Elway which is even more concentrated now that he's in the front office and, and running things. And if, you know, and if, you know, suppose he has like a down season or, or, you know, God forbid, you know, they don't get to the playoffs uh, in Manning's first year. And not only is he like, you know, more dis you know, it's like a disappointment in comparison to Elway, but like, Hey, even like you know this, the the quasi uh, quarterback got us to a better record last year, and like even like Manning's credentials were you know didn't leave us any better off than we were with somebody who doesn't have like one tenth of one percent of his credentials or ability. So, all right, I, I, wanna... I if I were him, I would stay. I would steer clear of uh, the Broncos, but I, but I understand you know John Elway calls. You, you got at least take that meeting right it would be really really ironic if uh you know john elway who spurned uh the colts franchise would uh take their now most prized player with uh, you know back to denver with him that'd be really interesting although obviously he's not going back to indy either way but i'm going to ask you to role play one more time and i want to know if you were commissioner goodell how you would punish the saints and greg williams and Sean Payton slash Mickey Loomis for all of this uh, bounty stuff. Wow, uh, <laughs> um, I was actually part of the the reporting on that package for last week's issue. Yep. But um, I, uh, you know, if if we're being honest with each other, um, you know, I would I would if I were Roger Goodell, I'd take a long look in the mirror and say to myself, "What if I got rid of the injury wire?" Why don't we start there? If uh, if people don't know, you know who else is hurt, or uh, or you know are kind of following following this news, then then you kind of remove, you know, at least the prospecting part of the of the bounty. Um, You're going to aggravate a but, lot of yeah. fantasy players doing that, though. Aggravate a lot of fantasy players and probably <laughs> aggravate, uh, you know, a yeah, thriving uh, gambling industry, right. which is kind of like the great, uh, you know, the, the the great unsaid in all of this. But um, but certainly, like, if I'm serious about uh, player safety and um, and uh, and health, and especially like uh, you know, keeping. Uh, Keeping medical information confidential and like honoring HIPAA and all of that, then then I would not make that information public. Um, but since we know he's not going to do that, since no. we know he's not a million years going to do that. Um, I kind of weirdly think that he's going about this the right way. I mean, he's probably going to you know throw the book at the Saints and uh, you know give them some form of what will what will later be known as, like, the NFL's death penalty. But I think that, you know, the right approach is, you know, make make an example of one and hope that it scares everybody else straight. Um, will it work? Uh, I don't know. I'm sure that somebody else will, will find a uh, find loophole around it. But, I mean, 
I guess, I guess you know, it's, it's tough to put myself in his shoes because I don't, I, I disagree with it, with him making a, a, a league case out of it. I think that, I mean, I, I see his point about, you know, intentionally trying to injure, you know, your peers. But, like, like Warren Sapp, I don't have any problem with the concept of gas money. Like, just, you know, I'm around, you know, in my, in my kind of daily course of, of covering an NFL team, you know, on the on the days when that happens, around the NFL, like the limited contact that I have with an NFL practice is like kind of boring and tedious enough for me to know that the actual thing, like ninety nine percent of what I'm experiencing, must just be totally like draining. And uh, you know, even with all of the you know the rousing you know, locker room speeches and, uh, you know, hype circle scrums that go on before a game, you know, when all of that fades and and even the crowd noise fades away, I, I know that, you know, and, and my, my energy level maybe dies down a bit. If some guy whispers in, into my ear right before I put a helmet on that, hey, you know, don't forget about that 200 bucks I got on a tackle inside of 15, like, bang, like the fire's back on. I'm into it, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, I, I don't see any problem with, you know, I guess, uh, incentivizing for the purposes of, like, perform motivating performance, but, uh, and especially, like, you know, even though it's framed as a violation of the salary cap technically under NFL rules, and part of the reason why they frown on all of this, uh, as one agent explained it to me, really, are, isn't it just a redistribution of wealth, if you have good players right. giving to other players? And, um, you know, and what's, you know, it's, it, what's more socialist than that? The, the NFL loves socialism. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, let's get you out of here on this. I mentioned in the, on the top you're a Missouri grad, 30 wins. Committee banged you yeah. a little bit for a poor uh, strength of schedule in the non-conference. Should have banged us more. Put you on the two-line. What's your outlook for Missouri in the tournament? I see. I, I think we're it's too high of a profile. I think we need to be deeper under the radar. I just feel like it's just it's set up the way it's grooved for us now. Everybody talking about us. We got a button on the CBS set, uh, you know, over the analysts. People putting us in the final four, in their final four brackets. I just feel like it's just grooving a little too much for. You know, a first round upset, so everybody can throw up their hands and say, "Boy, that that Mizzou sure was snake oil, weren't they?" Like I just, I I have a I have a fear that that's that that's going to happen from all the attention. That said, that that fear that you know you know that Murphy's Law kind of fear that that exists in all Mizzou fans. You know, it's natural they 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 do this to us, but that doesn't mean that I I don't expect them. You know, to you know, if they play their game and, and the right stars like, you know, like Marcus Demon in particular, they're just dead-eyed, uh, you know, marksman closer, uh, get hot. That uh, that they should be able to do a lot of damage and 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 get to Denver like and cut down some nice some nice victories uh, in the process. So we'll see. It'll it'll be interesting. I, I will definitely be watching you know with with about half of my fingernails left <laughs> well i think the last time 
they were going to be this much of a factor in the tournament. I believe they lost to Oklahoma in the Elite Eight, right? Was that the last? Yeah. That was the last really good team. Indiana yeah, ended up. Yeah. That was Maryland's year, right? Maryland won the national championship that year. I think. Right, and yeah. even even uh, you know a few years ago, West Virginia. I mean, it's just been uh, you know ever since we kind of you know snuck under the radar a couple of years ago, uh, got all the way to the Elite Eight. Um, there's there's been a bullseye on us. So. And and now it's just gotten bigger with all of the. Uh, all the attention around us. So apologize for that buzzer. I guess there's there's somebody here that I'm not expecting. <laughs> all right, well, we'll let you go and answer the door. Uh, thank you very much for your time today. Good luck to Missouri, and uh, hopefully we can do it again soon sometime. That's great, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Andrew. All right, I want to thank Andrew Lawrence for joining us today, first day of NFL free agency. Real quick book book club update. Again, we've been reading this month Roy McGregor's book, Wayne Gretzky's Ghost and Other Tales from a Lifetime of Hockey. And I've been enjoying it. I've been paging through it. Again, it's, it's kind of just a compilation of stories by Roy, who's famous for his nonfiction work and fiction work, writing about the game of hockey. Uh, he's wrote a bunch of, uh, bunch of books with authors like he he helped Ken Dryden write his his book and uh he's got a lot of great great titles out there if you're interested um his most famous book is probably the home team fathers and sons and hockey um as for this book if you're looking for some of the topics that are in it it's kind of split into a bunch of different sections the the kind of first section is the legends of the game there's an article about Mario Lemieux, Matt Sundin, Joe Sackick, Steve Eiserman, Patrick Waugh, Paul Correa, Marcel Dion, Bobby Orr. Then the next section is more about stars of the league, you know, the Sidney Crosbys, Henrik Sedin, Ovi, kind of the, the newer newer players. Then there's the character section. There's a great article about Don Cherry in there, which I absolutely loved. Um, the Alexander Dagg one that we talked about. There's a section he calls bar debates where they talk about some of the different debates that there are in hockey. You know, how good is Martin Baran or is it the system or uh, Martin Brodeur? My my bad there. Um, Also, it talks about safety. uh, Should fighting be in? Those kind of things. Then uh, behind the bench section, he profiles Ted Nolan. Uh, It's a really great story about the year that he won the coach of the year and then was fired. Something that would be interesting for Sabres fans. There's an anguish section. Uh, some of the more disappointing stories from hockey. And it's just a really, really great book. There's all kinds of different articles that can be read quickly. Again, it's called Wayne Gretzky's Ghost and Other Tales from a Lifetime of Hockey by Roy McGregor. I recommend it. It's available on digital formats as well as the hardcover, which I do recommend because we've talked before about what a beautiful cover it has. And we'll probably try to get Roy in here to join us on our March 27th show. So about two more weeks to pick up the book and uh, read. All right, that's it for the book club update. We're going to take another break and come back with the executive producer of the Dan Patrick Show, Todd Fritz. Our next guest is from 
Brooklyn, New York, and is a graduate of New York University. He has worked in radio for WFAN in New York, KMPC in Los Angeles, ESPN, and on Los Angeles Rams broadcasts. Today he is a member of the Danettes, working as the executive producer of the world-famous Dan Patrick Show. He is the occasional host of the Dan Patrick Wrap-Up Show called The Box Score. He is the biggest Hall & Oates fan to appear on the program. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the very talented Todd Fritz. How are you doing today, Todd? How's it going? It's going really Thanks good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're excited to have you back. I, I mentioned in the email we've been kind of uh, talking to our fans a little bit about the direction of the show, who they want to hear, uh, who's on too much, who's on not enough, and one name. Well, two names really came up quite a bit that people wanted to hear, and that was yours and uh, McLovin's. Well, I appreciate that. It's yeah. good to be back on with you guys. So we had to reach out. And, and you know, it's an interesting time for you, I'm sure, because your, your Broncos are, are in the news. And uh, I'm, I'm curious, what would you – are you uh, – are you – would you like Peyton? Would you like to uh, stick I, I with? Want to see Tebow. I don't want to see Tebow go. I'm hoping that they can, you know, you're hearing reports that if the Broncos happen to uh, get to Manning, that they would maybe uh, be trading Tebow, send them packing. I'm hoping we can get the best of both worlds and uh, that Manning would sign with Denver and uh, they could still find a place for Tebow and he'd be willing to uh, also stick around and, uh, you know, get some tutelage from Peyton and uh, have them both there. That would be uh, that would be ideal for me. I would love to see them uh, both uh, working together. Uh, I don't know how feasible that is. They've already got billboards I've seen, I guess, in Denver. Who do you want, Manning or Tebow? So <laughs> kind of wild after all the Tebowing and all the uh, all the craze with uh, number 15 that uh, all of a sudden uh, you know, we're thinking about showing them the door for uh, for number 18. So uh, it'll be very curious to see how things uh, play out once Peyton uh, makes a decision. Well, it kind of goes to show you that, like the power of Peyton Manning because – you have a city that was absolutely just almost taken over by Tim Tebow only a few months ago. And just the the thought, just the mention of the chance that Peyton Manning would could end up there. And it seems like everyone is just like, all right, well, so much for that, dude. So yeah, dude, with, all the, with all the excitement with Tebow, but then all of a sudden you got someone like Peyton Manning available. Uh, hopefully Tim's not taking it too personally and uh, can understand why everybody's uh, all of a sudden in, uh, wearing orange and blue, jumping on the uh, Manning bandwagon and the prospect of, of getting Peyton and what that could mean to, uh, to the city and the team. Uh, I don't know if the roster's strong enough where that uh, Peyton Manning signs with Denver that, that guarantees them a Super Bowl berth or even anything uh, close to it. So uh, I wouldn't get too excited. We don't even know if he's going to Denver yet, and if he does, you know, I'm not sold. But that means uh, that they're uh, they're going as far as some people may think they're going. Plus, with his uh, neck surgeries and everything, you know, I'm still concerned about what would happen there. We're not sure how he can handle certain hits. You know, it's one thing to throw the ball and have some cameras on you while you're practicing at Duke, but uh, it's a whole other thing in a game situation when you're getting uh, when you're getting knocked around. So uh, I'm uh, curious. I'm not going to get too excited yet, but uh, I would love to see Peyton Manning in a Bronco uniform. You know, you kind of mentioned something that surprised me, and that's that there's like four or five owners out there who are saying they're going to do anything it takes to get Peyton Manning. But are you as surprised as I am that nobody wants him to come down and throw first? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm curious how they're handling all that as far as, um, you know, I remember one thing that stood out to me just Saturday I guess had said something uh, during during the um, during the camps and all that while the, you know while all the guys were uh, 
were working out on the, uh, you know, where it was, you know, pro days and uh, where uh, NFL Network was out there, you know, monitoring all the college players to show, uh, to show their stuff. And Jeff Sally said that he thinks it would be very disrespectful to have Peyton Manning uh, to a pro day. But uh, I know Dan and a lot of other people feel like, hey, you know, you're going to be uh, investing a lot of money in Peyton Manning. You know, he should be, and it sounds like he would be willing to uh, throw for teams and uh, check out and uh, see if he still, uh, still, has, you know, still has enough there in the tank. You know, as he's uh, approaching, I guess, his 36th birthday. Yeah, I mean, if you're laying like 20 to $28 million down on a guy, I don't know that it's disrespectful Absolutely. to ask him to throw a couple footballs. You know, yeah, I, mean? that's, uh, that, that, I think that's the least they can uh, they can do. I can understand Jeff Saturday, you know, you know, protecting his teammates for lack of a better word, and wanting to show his support and feeling like he's accomplished so much. How do you ask Peyton Manning to uh, have a uh, to have a pro day? But um, it's uh, it's something that you know these teams again, if they're going to invest that kind of money and uh, make that kind of uh, commitment, they you know they need to uh, to see that. I know Peyton's flying around and meeting with uh, with different teams. And I, I'm assuming you had nice meetings with the Broncos and the Cardinals, and then you know, you know, you're hearing you're hearing oh, Dolphins, yeah. Titans, etc. But uh, I'm curious to see how soon he'll make the decision, and uh, if he would ultimately stay in the horse family and go from Colt to uh, to Bronco. <laughs> it would be interesting if you think about it that you know Elway turned down the Colts and uh, went to the Broncos, and it'd be interesting if he was the guy. Who ultimately very. signed Manning after the Colts <laughs> lost? That's a, that's a that's a very good point. That's uh, that, that's right. He uh, he spurned them to uh, to go to Denver, and now he's in a situation where he's trying to take a legendary Colt to uh, to bring him aboard to the Broncos. But uh, that's, a, that's an excellent point. That would be very uh, very interesting if that uh, if that took place. You know, I've been getting a little little bit of grief from some of the listeners recently about you know I'm a Saints fan I live in Buffalo New York and a lot of people have been questioning me how did you become a Saints fan uh, people are really interested in things like that so I bet people are wondering how a guy from Brooklyn became such a big Broncos fan yeah I started following them like in 1977 uh, I just fell in love with the whole the uniform the whole helmets with the horse and the smoke coming out of the nose of the horse. I was like seven, eight years old. They were getting ready to play the Cowboys in Super Bowl twelve, which they ended up losing, unfortunately, to uh, in New Orleans on January 15th, 1978. I remember 27 to 10. Um, so that was a uh, tough loss to the Orange Crush to the Doomsday defense. But just the whole Orange Crush mystique, I remember reading like in the New York Post and New York Daily News, different features. And I just, I liked the jerseys and the helmets and the players. And I just decided, you know, this is going to be my team. I'm going to be a Bronco fan. What uh when you look back on since 1978, obviously a couple Super Bowl wins in there. What are some of your greatest memories uh, as a Broncos fan? Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is the drive, that 98-yard drive from inside their own two in Cleveland, just down 2013 to see uh, them pull that off in the pass to Mark Jackson, and then Rich Carlos kicked the field goal in overtime to uh, to win. And then the next year in Denver against those same Browns, the fumble, Jeremiah Castillo uh, recovers it, Ernest Biner fumbles, felt bad for him, but. Uh, those amazing two years in a row to go to the Super Bowl, but it was still before they finally beat the Packers and Falcons back to back, seeing them get blown out against the uh, Giants 39 20, and then yeah, the next year to the Redskins 42 10, and two years later 55 10 to the 49ers. Those were uh, very, very difficult to take. Yeah, we know all about that here in Buffalo. Difficult, <laughs> difficult Super Bowl. Yeah, Sundays. exactly. Four, four Super Bowls in a row. Right. Uh, you guys can definitely, unfortunately, relate to that. Yeah, and, and they got progressively worse as they uh, went oh. on, too. Uh, Very frustrating. I mentioned, you know, you're the executive producer of the Dan Patrick Show, and you guys are also uh, doing the uh, after show, which is now on uh, DirecTV as well. How have things been going with the after show? I know 
Uh, last time I talked to either you or Andrew, there was a little bit of trepidation about being on TV without Dan. Uh, how are things going, and how do you think the uh, kind of evolution of the show has been? I think they're uh, I think they're going great. We're you know really really we're enjoying it. Uh, Casey uh, Garrity, who hosts the show, is doing a really good job. But we all get a chance uh, to uh, you know air out things you know things that happen on the show, good, bad, or indifferent. And uh, I, you know, I just I think it's a really good look for people to see um, you know some behind the scenes stuff with the show, what's going on in our minds. You get a little taste of it in the box at the top of each hour during the show, but the, a full half-hour show with all the producers, you know, looking back on, on moments and bringing back certain audio or video from, uh, from the show, things that got a little wacky, you know, how we handled certain situations. Uh, I think it's a, it shows, uh, provides really good insight for, uh, for the listeners and the viewers to uh, see what's, uh, what's going on, and hopefully, uh, hopefully everybody's enjoying uh, that kind of behind-the-scenes look, taking a, taking a look at what we're all thinking and doing and things that you might not have caught the first time around, we get to uh, look back on and discuss uh, in more detail with, uh, with the box score. There's so many obvious things about what would make your job great. You know, like we get to, we can see the, the office that you guys work on and, and how exciting that must be. And all the great athletes and sports media personalities you guys get to interview and, and having the show after the show but what what is something that maybe isn't so obvious that makes working for the Dan Patrick Show so great? Um, just you know that that we're so you know appreciated and we have a lot of input into what we're going to do. Uh, Dan, you know, makes sure he creates an environment and goes out of his way to show how much uh, he appreciates all our hard work and you know just being able to you know as a group discuss you know what direction we want to go in with the show, whether it's topics guests or what have you, and it's nice to kind of have that freedom, and DirecTV has also given us a lot of that freedom as well, um, you know, working for a big company, sometimes, you know, you're, you know, this certain amount of dictating it to what direction you need to go in, or certain people you have to have on the show, but they've kind of let us do our thing, the uh, the producers and the uh, powers that be out in Los Angeles let us do our thing in, the, in Connecticut, and it's nice to uh, have that freedom among our little group, and they trust us to uh, kind of put things together and do what we think uh, needs to be done to cover the, uh, the stories and news of the day. Yeah, you know, I love the audience network because I get to watch the Ann Patrick show, and I also get to watch The Wire. You know, I oh. mean, it's, it's almost like uh, I, I think if I ever get the chance to create a cable station, maybe I'll have, you know, uh, the Mike Francesca show and The Sopranos. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's turned out to be a great pairing, you know, The Wire and The Dan Patrick Show. But uh, what was your what was your impression of uh, Dan's recent appearance on Letterman? Um, because, you know, I could see where you guys might have been a little bit disappointed that maybe uh, maybe Dave mocked uh, the audience network. Yeah, I, I think I think Dan held his own really well. I thought uh, Dave was maybe you know pushing his buttons a little bit and. Uh, you know, I don't know. If, I don't know. If, I don't know if he was intentionally being condescending, but I know he likes to, you know, poke at the guests a little bit here and there with the, you know, not knowing or pretending not to know what the uh, audience network was, whatever. I think he was a. I think he kind of stepped over the line a little bit, but uh, but because Dan's been in these kind of positions before and he's such a pro, you know, Dan was able to give it right back and uh, you know it was like a little tennis match and Dan was able to hit it back before. And uh, yeah, I was a little surprised. We were in the studio audience watching that, and uh, you know, I was a little disappointed that Letterman, I think, was. Uh, Trying to be a little too, a uh, little too cute, but I uh, was very impressed with the way Dan handled himself and didn't let uh, let him get away with too much with that. Yeah, and you know, I know how much you know being on that show can mean, and and, and how exciting that is. And um, you know, did, 
but you guys were you guys ultimately walked away kind of more excited that Dan was able to handle it than disappointed that Dave kind of like you said crossed the line a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, I was more impressed with the way Dan handled it than uh, the way Letterman, you know, was uh, you know trying to you know, uh, you know I, I'm not sure what he was trying to accomplish with you know teasing about uh, about the audience network or you know where is that or whatever he was trying to say. But I'm sure he was very familiar with it, and uh, I think he was just kind of taking a jab at Dan. But I, I came away with it feeling like. Uh, you know, Letterman was being a little too, uh, a little too cute, a little bit too much of a wise guy. And I love Letterman; I think he's great. But in that instance, uh, I think uh, he may have stepped over the line a little bit. And I was very proud of the way Dan uh, wouldn't let him uh, get away with anything. He, uh, he stood his ground very, very well. So, are you guys getting a big bracket pool together uh, at the office uh, over there? Oh yeah, we're, uh, we're, 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 you know, we're doing. We have the group. We reached out to. Uh, a number of uh, celebrities are going to be participating in the, uh, you know, the Dan Patrick celebrity uh, bracket, and uh, as we've done in past years, and uh, it should be a lot of fun. And uh, you know, I've, uh, I've I've got Syracuse going to the uh, to the Final Four before this uh, mellow news came out that he's now ineligible for the tournament. Now I have to decide: do I, you know, redo it or just stick to my guns and maybe the the Orange will still step up and find a way to go very far even without uh, one of their top players. And right now I'm kind of leaving it where it is, and I'm probably going to uh, end up regretting that. But uh, I filled out the bracket before this news came out. You know, there's still time before uh, things get underway tonight, tomorrow night, and especially Thursday. So I'm debating that a little bit. But for now, uh, for now I've got, uh, yeah, I got Syracuse and Ohio State. i got Kentucky and, and, uh, and Duke. Um, you know, advance. I got basically for the semifinals. I got Kentucky going against Missouri and Syracuse going against North Carolina, and Kentucky beating North Carolina in the championship game. Yeah, Kentucky has been so dominant. You know, they've only lost one time since I think December tenth, and it's right. just going to be so hard to pick against them. But then again, when you're filling out these brackets, and especially when you're in a group as big as the one you're going to be in. You don't want to get yourself mathematically eliminated by picking Kentucky. You know, you don't want to be out of it the first day. So it's kind of a really strange balance there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that that that's uh, that's uh, really tricky. But it's a lot of fun, and uh, it's that's one thing we've learned over the years. You know, some of the people that win these things, you know, are doing it based on uh, team colors or mascots or the you know or you know logos and you know silly things like that. And so you can't get too caught up in it. You got to kind of go with your. Uh, your instincts and uh, and see how far you can go and you know we we do it it's all for fun there's no like you know you know money wager on the line so it's all uh, just for bragging rights and to have a good time with it and see uh, you know you can throw in a couple upsets and see how far they go. At the Dan Patrick Show, you guys are lucky because you you, you do have it's it's a lo- it's a little bit of a longer show so you don't have to make you know like here's what I'm here's what I'm wondering you guys have been off for a few days so now you're gonna you're gonna come back tomorrow I assume right. and. Uh, how do you prioritize what is happening in sports? I mean, you have the start of NFL free agency. You have the NCAA tournament. You know, you have uh, Tiger Woods injury that happened over the weekend. Um, you have the news coming out of Syracuse. You know, Sidney Crosby's coming back on Thursday. A little NHL stuff there. As, a, as an executive producer of the show, how do you look to prioritize all that? And what... What names or, or what people in the Dan Patrick Rolodex come to mind and, and you think, you know, we got to make sure 
we book these guys and do these things because we've been off for a few yeah. days and we got to catch yeah, everyone up. Yeah, you're right. It's not it's not easy, and you know we were off, but we're not really off because we're still monitoring everything going on in the sports world, and uh, you know we got to be ready by the time it's time to go back to work and start the show. You can't all of a sudden start thinking about these things now. It's got to be you know pre-planned, and whether it's you know Seth Davis, who we really like with college basketball, can we get uh, Sidney Crosby? Um, you know, obviously going after the Peyton Mannings and the, uh, the Reggie Waynes and John Elways and uh, Wizen Hunts and John Foxes. So, you know, you get a lot of calls out there. You know, the, you know, you try to handle it in a, in a careful, sensitive way with the PR because a lot of things are still up in the air as far as uh, what's going to be, whether, you know, you're inviting, you know, a Dwight Howard or a Rondo or, you know, people that are you know, involved in trade rumors. So, uh, you know, you send, you know, feelers out in advance and, you know, try, try to, you know, make a little list like uh, some of the names I just mentioned of people we'd like to uh, hear from, Roger Goodell and Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis. People, you know, Drew Brees is going to actually be on tomorrow, so we can certainly talk about the franchise tag and bounties and, uh, you know, you know what the punishment uh, might be for the Saints. So, uh, you're right, a lot of stuff going on. It's a very busy but exciting time of the year, but uh, the more you can plan ahead with uh, what you think might happen and who you think would be appropriate people to have on, that's, uh, that's what we do. Yeah, the sportscasters are here with Todd Fritz, the executive producer of The Dan Patrick Show. You can find on Twitter at Brooklyn Fritzy. Uh, a couple more minutes with you here. We're going to let you go. I know you're having uh, a good day with the with the family, spending some time no uh, away from the show. Um, just a couple more things. You, you mentioned the Saints, and um, they're having a really just unbelievably crazy off season with the news from the of of the bounty. You know, a bunch of free agents who I think teams are looking to kind of strike and take away. I assume with the news that Marcus Colston it's re-signed, that means that Carl Nix probably won't be. Um, and, you know, you mentioned you're going to have Drew Brees on. You know, when you prepare for that interview, you try to give Dan notes for that interview, and you only have a limited amount of time, how do you prioritize things? Well, you know, we, we, you try to put a couple of questions or a couple of ideas or notes together, you know, the day or night before, you know, recent articles that have been written. Um, but ultimately, you know, we chat early in the morning and we kind of get a feel for what everyone's thinking and, uh, you know, maybe put a little outline together, see where Dan's at as far as what the – you know, order what would be the best way as far as ordering the questions and what's you know, what's the priority. You got making sure we hit everything, but sometimes the, you know the sequence of those questions can elicit the best possible answers. You jump right into his personal situation with the uh, you know the lack of the uh, the big money contract extension. Uh, do you make it more uh, you know more on the uh, the news of the team with the bounties, which you know still uh, if that's still yet to be uh, figured out. We know there's certain questions that have to be asked, but um, you know and you don't want to wait to the, the last minute either. So uh, I would say, you know, whether it's later today, tonight, and certainly first thing in the morning, you know, what exactly do we want to ask? How do we want to ask it? And in what uh, order should those questions be asked in so that it's, uh, you know, we can get the, you know, responses we're looking for and, and be fair to Drew as well as far as, you know, personal situations versus team situations. Let me put the uh, commissioner hat on you for a second and let's sure. pretend that you're Commissioner Goodell. What do you think would be the appropriate punishment to uh, to – to lay on the Saints for this bounty, it, 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 it's it's tough. I know, especially with the uh, you know with all the concussion sensitivity and uh, you know and, and with with this bounty stuff, that's which makes it really bad. I think the commissioner has to come down hard, and uh, you know whether he wants to or not, he he's uh, basically in a situation where I guess he's got to uh, make an example out of the uh, out of the Saints and uh, and rule with an iron hand, and then just you know make make it very clear to other teams that this won't be tolerated. So you know I'm assuming there'll be draft picks lost. I'm not sure what kind of dollar figures involved. Um, I would be shocked if Greg Williams wasn't uh, 
suspended for a number of games. I know he's with the Rams now. Right. Um, I, I don't know. If, I don't know if, how many games they'll expect him to uh, to miss. What uh, you know? I don't, I don't think. I don't think. Uh, as far as Mickey Loomis, Sean Payton, Tom Benson, uh, you know, I think they'll be. To me, I think it's going to be more of a monetary thing and a draft pick thing. I don't know if they're going to be forced to uh, sit out games. I am very curious to see how uh, Roger Goodell is going to handle it. And uh, when the well, as I was reading articles and the story first broke, I was wondering if they were going to, you know, kick Greg Williams out of the league altogether. I don't think right. they're going to go that harsh. But uh, I'm very curious, specifically with Greg Williams, what they do with him, especially now being with the Rams, how this situation with the Saints and what he may or may not have done with former teams like the Bills and Redskins, how this is going to follow him and, uh, and affect, the, uh, affect the Rams organization. Do you think when Commissioner Goodell makes his decision that he has to look at the precedent that he sent for the Spygate issue, which was a competitive issue? Do you think- yeah, I don't know how mu- yeah, I don't know how much he's going to look at that. That was actually one of our poll questions not too long ago, which is worse, bounties or Spygate, you know, cheating or having a bounty. Uh, I'm sure he's going to factor all those things in. You know, I don't know exactly how he's going to, you know, crunch the numbers or put, you know, one against the other as far as weighing those two. Um, but I think it's going to be more of just the, the whole bounty thing and the extra sensitivity about player safety with concussions that is going to uh, play a big factor in how he's going to how he's going to make his final decision and just how severe the penalty uh, should be to make it clear and under no uh, and make it under no. Uh, circumstances that make it very, very clear to the league and to the teams and players and executives going forward under uh, under no uh, under no circumstances can anything like this be tolerated going forward in the future. All right. It's the Sportscasters once again with uh, Todd Fritz, the executive producer of the Dan Patrick Show, who you can find on Twitter at Brooklyn Fritzy. Before I let you go, why don't you just lay it all out for us? Where can we watch the show? Where can we find you? All those kinds of things. Anything you want to plug, put it out there just in case some of my listeners have been under a rock. Yeah, we're, we're on DirecTV, on the Audience Network. We're on 270 radio stations uh, around the country and growing. Uh, all the Fox Sports regional channels, MSG Plus, Root Sports. So we're, uh, we've got it all covered. If you go to danpatrick.com, you'll get a further list of different radio stations. We're on XM. So um, you'll, uh, it's, there's just so many different platforms which we're we're so excited about, uh, and with obviously with Directv under their umbrella between radio, TV, and podcast, and uh, and on the internet. So uh, we're uh, we're continuing to grow, and we're particularly proud of the fact that uh, we're not too uh, far away from uh, hitting the big 300 mark as far as our radio affiliates. And now, can we play with you in the uh, bracket pool, or is it just something we can follow along with? I believe it's something you could follow, but I, I believe there's also a link at danpatrick.com where uh, where everybody can uh, fill out uh, brackets as well. I know again we're doing this uh, celebrity bracket pool with Dan and the Danettes and uh, right. and some of the uh, some of the regulars that have been on our show, some of the celeb types. But uh, yeah, if you go to danpatrick.com, you'll get uh, more information and also uh, be able to uh, see uh, see what we're doing throughout uh, throughout March Madness. All right, thanks, Todd. It is our pleasure. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks, buddy. All right, special thanks to Todd Fritz from The Dan Patrick Show, the EP over there, for joining us. Also, I want to thank Andrew Lawrence from Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com for joining us to chat about the beginnings of NFL free agency. Also, a huge thank you again to Luke Wynn for joining us from his apartment in Brooklyn to talk about the NCAA basketball tournament. Also, return to the show, Luke Wynn's Poker Chips. 
I don't know what happens when we talk to Luke, but it always sounds like he's uh, shuffling, <laughs> shuffling poker chips, and uh, this this appearance is no different. A couple things I want to mention. Don't forget about this was season two, episode ten. Don't forget about last week's episode, season two, episode nine. We had Grant Wall uh, talk about soccer, Tony Pauline talk about the draft and the combine, and gentleman Jeff Merrick was here to talk hockey, and people love Jeff Merrick and his appearances on the show. Don't forget to check out Facebook.com slash the Sportscasters at sports underscore casters on Twitter, the Sportscasters.blogspot.com, Sportscasters.tumblr.com, and email us, the Sportscasters at gmail.com. You can find all this information on our website, www.sports-casters.com. Special little announcement here. Tomorrow I have a conference call with the powers that be at cold hard football facts and football nation hopefully next week we will be able to announce what that means for listeners of the sportscasters but i can tell you that don and i are very excited about it absolutely also proplayerinsiders.com is another site that we load the podcast on every week and we do some writing for them as well so make sure you check out proplayerinsiders.com all right that leaves us with one more piece of business for today don Recovers in Thank pick God. four after an Thank zero and four God. to uh, put a three and one week. The power of the coin prevailed as the Clippers <laughs> beat the Spurs one twenty to one hundred eight. Also, going against the Spurs was key for him as or the Suns, excuse me, was his other thunder over the Suns. Don, you had the wrong day uh, when you gave me your pick, but I, I found it. Don't okay. worry, I, I found bet. it. Did a little research, but the Thunder did play the Suns last week and beat them 115-104. to 104. Also, you finally picked the hockey game right as the Penguins beat the Bruins 5-2. to two. Your only loss is that Vincent, Jack- Vincent Jackson seems to be a buck, not a bill, but you'll take that any day yeah, in exchange Williams, for sure. Mario Williams and Robert Meacham. All right, the game of the week this week. Oh, wait. What about me? Oh, I'm sorry. Don't Go people ahead. want to hear about me? Go ahead. I went 2-2 two and two the second straight week. I had Yale over Harvard 2-1 to one in Game 1. Unfortunately for my brother, Harvard went on to win the next two, one in double overtime, and then kind of pulled away in game three. But as an aside, I want to congratulate my brother, Anthony, on an absolutely fabulous freshman season, one that really showed some character in Anthony as he had a battle back from some versatility. And versatility isn't isn't really something that he's needed in his life. <laughs> no. Things have always come pretty easy to him. So I was really proud to see him step up and show some character. And uh, I'm proud of you and I love you, Anthony. Also, uh, my other win was the Penguins over the Maple Leafs, 3-2. to two. Comeback victory. They were down 2 to nothing. Came back, won that one 3-2 to two for me. I had the Spurs over the Clippers. That didn't work out. I thought that Greg Williams would be suspended by now. Still hasn't been. <laughs> Um, the game of the week, uh, as I started to say earlier, is number five, Vanderbilt versus Harvard. There's always one or two of the 12 teams that end up beating a five. I didn't think it would be this one, so I'm going to take Vandy. That's Thursday afternoon, 440 on TNT. Yeah, you know, when picking a picking the game of the week this week, I knew I wanted to pick it, a game from the tournament. And what's cool about it is... Like you said, it seems like a 12 always beats a 5. Also, we have two really interesting teams. Vanderbilt just won the SEC tournament, beating number 1 Kentucky. First time Kentucky had a loss since December 10th. And Harvard is playing in the NCAA tournament for the first time in over 50 years. 
So it's a really interesting matchup. You think that uh, Vanderbilt is going to do it. I think Vanderbilt's worn out from making that run through the conference tournament. The Ivy League doesn't have one. So Harvard yeah. didn't have to play a co- conference tournament. I think Harvard's a fresher team. Uh, I think that they're going to be excited to play their first game in the NCAA tournament in a long time. And I don't think they're going to be ready for the experience to end after that first game. So I'm going to go against you again, Don. I'm going to take number 12, Harvard. That's an East region game. As Don said, it's Thursday afternoon at 440 on TNT. My worldwide leader pick is I'm going to stick with the hockey. I finally got one last week, and I'm going to actually keep riding the Penguins. Uh, they're playing Sunday again at 1230 against the Flyers. Believe it or not, Penguins Flyers on a Sunday on NBC. Ooh, they went uh, off the board. Yeah, the Penguins currently are sitting on a nine-game win streak. That's without Crosby. Crosby's going to be back on Thursday, so he'll have his legs under him by Sunday and something of a rivalry interstate game. I don't see the Pens losing, so give me the Penguins even on the road. All right, I'm going to stick with the NCAA basketball tournament. Really, I could pick any game because of the great – decision by CBS to broadcast all of the games in the tournament on one of their family of networks, even stations like True TV, uh, TBS, TNT, and CBS are the stations of Terminal Air. It's a South region game. I'm going to pick number eight, Iowa State, over number nine, Connecticut. Games Thursday, March 14th at 9.20 on TBS. Here's the thing. Everyone you listen to is talking about this great third-round matchup between Kentucky and Connecticut. But Connecticut is an underdog against Iowa State. They're the nine. <laughs> Iowa State's the eight. Everyone is overlooking Iowa State. Yeah. I think Connecticut's a mess. Uh, they've been a mess all season. So I'm going to pick uh, Iowa State to beat Connecticut in the 8-9 in the South Regional, setting up Iowa State versus Kentucky in that third-round game, not Connecticut and Kentucky. My host choice, I'm going to again stick with basketball. Maybe not quite the gimme that my last couple have been, but it's the Knicks at the Pacers. This game's on Saturday at 7. It's on MSG. Uh, I guess if you're a Knicks fan lately, maybe you think this is a gimme game because the Knicks haven't beaten anybody. They've actually lost six straight. And I don't remember what my over-under was at the beginning of the year, but I actually did watch some basketball last night because it was after the the Sabres game. So I watched about an hour or so of Knicks uh, Bulls. And Carmelo Anthony looks like a guy who's frustrated. He looks like a guy who either wants to or, at the very best, wouldn't mind being traded. And he seems to have checked out a little bit. He's getting angry at his teammates and stuff. So give me the Pacers over the Knicks Saturday at 7. All right. My host choice this week, I'm going to stick again with the NCAA basketball tournament. It's an East Region game. I'm going to pick number 8, Kansas State, over number 9, Southern Miss. It's Thursday, March 14th at 12.40 on True TV. Anytime I can pick a Big 12 school over a mid-major with a coach that I really respect and admire, I'm going to do it. So I'm going to pick Kansas State, and they're going to figure into my bold prediction as well. But I'm going to pick Kansas State over number 9, Southern Miss, Thursday, March 14th at 12.40 on True TV, one of the first NCAA tournament games. All right, my bold prediction this week is, as we mentioned earlier, uh, usually number 12 manages to beat out a number 5 for an upset. I'm going to take uh, Virginia Commonwealth, the uh, the Rams, to beat out Wichita, Wichita State. Who Do you know what their team name is? Wichita State. Um, I think it's Pirates. No. Oh. It's the Shockers. Which is Come on. No. <laughs> it is actually the Wichita State Shockers. Is their symbol, you know, 
two uh, fingers and then a finger down. And if it is the picture they're showing has guys with like the the number one finger, not the uh, the inappropriate shocker fingers. Oh my god! But yeah, the uh, they're gonna get the shockers will get shocked. That's the headline. They are a six and a half point favorite. So VCU maybe, shocks the shockers. Maybe this isn't the boldest of predictions, but I'm gonna say that Virginia Commonwealth, a Final Four team from last year, beats out. The Shockers. First four to final four last year. My bold prediction, maybe a little less bold today, but I promise I did it yesterday. Uh, Syracuse <laughs> will not make the Sweet 16. I think that Kansas State will upset them in the round of 32 or the third round either way, but I think it's just been too much for Syracuse off the court to make a serious deep run into the NCAAs. You got a champion, Don? I guess. What's your final four? Who's your champion? Don, oh, I closed. college basketball expert. I clo- Here, you tell me yours first because I just I closed my bracket. All right, well, I have Kentucky uh, in the one region. I have Florida State in another. I have North Carolina, and I have Missouri. And All then right. I have Kentucky defeating North Carolina. My limited knowledge of college basketball being what it is, uh, I know upsets happen and seldomly do all the ones make it in or anything. So my final four is Kentucky, Duke, Florida State, and Wisconsin, with Kentucky facing Wisconsin in the finals and Kentucky winning. I know that part isn't all that bold. I think a lot of people expect Kentucky to win, but there you have it. I tried to pick something a little bit different with the other guys to uh, try to hopefully nail some upsets. By the time we are... Podcasting next week, will the Bills have signed Mario Williams and Robert Meacham or one or neither? Uh, Williams is obviously the bigger one, so I'm hoping that happens before I go to bed tonight. But, yeah, sure, why not? I mean, it's a new optimistic Buffalo Bills, so I'll say they have them both signed probably tonight. Well, I think one thing we definitely have to do next week, if they do sign both, is get Tim Graham on this show. Sure. It's been long enough, so let's let's see what happens. But, uh Enjoy it, Buffalo. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, this is a uh, new territory for Bills fans. Hopefully, Ralph comes through for you. Again, I want to thank Luke Wynn. I want to thank Andrew Lawrence. I want to thank Todd Fritz. Don, cue the hip. All right.